Welcome to episode 32 of the Hike or Die Outdoor Adventure Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by a good friend, Craig. Say something, Craig. How <laughs> you going, man? <laughs> Very good. Uh, in this episode, we speak to Nick Monaghan, who's an insect photographer. And I have to say, personally, that I, until I knew about the work that Nick did, I could never have uh, fathomed just how detailed and, and beautiful it was. So it's a good one, isn't it, Craig? Yep, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Cool, man. We'll play that funky music and let's uh, let's share it. Thank you, as always, to our regular podcast sponsors for their support. Topo Maps Plus, a phone application that allows you to view topographical maps and track your location even without cell phone coverage. Go deeper into the backcountry. Rios Floating Polarized Sunglasses with 100% UV protection for the love of water. Bluey Merino, Australian super fine merino wool base, mid and top layer garments. Where our story ends, yours is just beginning. Caribbee, one of Australia's leading backpack, travel and outdoor brands. They supply us with dry bags, waterproof day packs and expedition bags. Supporting our sponsors allows us to continue to produce this podcast. So please jump online and check out what they have to offer. We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land from which we broadcast today and pay our respects to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners. Craig, how are you, buddy? Good, Tom. Good. Great, man. How are you? <laughs> Very good. You're allowed to talk now. It's all good. <laughs> I never know when you, whether you're going to ask me to say something. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I really should give you some kind of a warning. Um, I mean, really, it's our. It's only the 32nd episode, so we it's not like we're in any kind of groove or... <laughs> know what we're doing. We should know what we're doing. Yeah, it's, it's on the fly. It's on very limited in uh, production back here. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-production, lots of post-production, fixing up the mistakes. Yeah. Uh, what, what, have you not, what have you been up to? What's oh, going on? Right, I've been up to heaps. I've been really busy. Um, I, th- I think it's been momentous that the twins are now at school, mate. They are... Just entered school. Elliot's at the same school, so we drop them off at the same place. So well, my life has just moved to easier. the next gear. And you get rid of all three of them all day. All day. If you're home. So yes, um, I've been I've been working out what I'm going to do with my weekends. And, oh, I thought um, you were going to say you've been working out. I was going to say, <laughs> good on you, mate. Not exactly. <laughs> okay. Not, not exactly. No, I've been working out what I'm going to do with my weekends and. Um, yeah, I've got some plans happening right now. So as of tomorrow, I'm I'm taking um, Elliot out on on his first overnight hike. So just I'm, remind the listeners how old he is. He's just turned seven. Yeah, sweet. And we've been on many day hikes and and overnights <clears throat> near the car, um, building yeah, up. Yeah, we to, did one together. Yeah, yeah. That time I had the scorpion on my foot. That's right, man. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's been loving that and just time, I think, to – so I've had to get some new gear just to take him on his own. Mm. Uh, he's not going to carry much and he's not going to have to walk too far for this first yeah, one. Lazy. Kids lazy. are lazy. <laughs> but I'm really, I'm really hoping that he'll enjoy it, that we um, spend the night out away from the car, you know? 
a little bit, a little bit more adventurous. Yeah, well, if you look after the gear and he doesn't like it, you should be able to sell it pretty easily. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Price. That's right. In my head, I've planned the uh, next six yeah, trips. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Did, it may not get off. Might the, not get to that. Off the hey, start. just don't wreck the wrapping that that's in. Okay. Underneath <laughs> <laughs> <need> that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mate. That's for later. That's for later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anything else I should know about? What have I been up to? Oh, um, you're going away tomorrow and just for one night? Yeah, no, tomorrow is Friday. It's a Saturday morning I'm going. Oh, you're so, going Saturday morning. Okay, yeah, okay. we're leaving real early and um, we're just going up where we met Josh. So we're going up to, mm. um, yeah, near the, near the Cobble Creek and we're just going to um, stay. It's only three Ks from the car to this new campsite that's been set up in the last 12 months, so I've never actually seen this one. Oh, three Ks, that's a pretty good distance. Oh, it'll be just right, I reckon. Mm, yeah. And it's not very hilly or anything that'll be... Oh, like, even better. Like, you know... Because you'll be carrying all of his crap. <laughs> I will, yeah. And he, him at some point. Because that's the thing, he's only <laughs> he's only going to have like an old school bag to sort of carry. He's not he's not <laughs> set up yet, but um, I'll carry all his stuff. He'll just carry his sleeping bag and his clothes. Mm. Well, I have said this before. I'm pretty sure that we've very skillfully created uh, Sherpas for ourselves. <laughs> so we've both got three kids each. So by the time uh, yep. I'm too unfit to carry my own pack, I'll be able to spread my gear over there, three packs, yeah. and just kind of cruise in in my wheelchair and stuff. Be good. But I guess that's what I've been excited about, mate, is I've got this new tent. Mm, yeah. So, oh, I showed you. I think oh, I showed you. Didn't, no, you just showed me the- uh, Well, I haven't opened it yet, but- bag. You which, still haven't opened it. Which may may lead to oh, some man. problems have on this weekend. Have you got tomorrow off? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, have you got tomorrow off? No. Oh, man. When are you going to open it? Are you going to open it when you get there? Yeah. You know, you're insane. No, I know how to do it. It's easy. Okay, watch this space. <laughs> the next episode when Craig explains how horrific his trip was because uh, there was a pole missing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, look, you guys know I've got I've got four hammocks. I've got um, three Hennessy's and an old jungle hammock that and I've you, been you taking them all with you. Uh, no, no, and I've only got a I've only got one hiking tent that is a little tarp tent that you you meant yeah. to pitch with you. Same as mine. Yeah, with your sticks, yep. and um, it's really lightweight, but doesn't fit much in it. And so I've got a, a two person one now that'll mm. be luxurious on my own, and it'll be yeah just right for me and me and EJ so yeah that's exactly I mean we spoke about this uh last time I was around here that I'm moving to a, a two-man tent as well uh despite the extra bit of weight so that I can have that space uh when I am by myself yeah, but so good. I can also have somebody else in there yeah it's gonna be good hopefully somebody I know not just some <laughs> random guy out of the woods or something yeah, yeah. that's Probably no room for him. <laughs> so, man, I've been dying to ask you because we've actually, when you arrived, I, was, I knew you've been away, so I was yes. going to ask you all about it. But I thought, let's wait till we light the mics up. What yeah, you, what are you I been think doing? that's probably something that the listeners maybe they don't believe because we we say that a lot, uh, and then we go through this whole <laughs> pantomime about what did you do on the weekend. <clears throat> it's it's legit. Like I will not tell Craig what I've been up to. I've been out twice since um, since we last caught up, and, and he doesn't know anything about either either trip. So mm. I, I like to keep it that way. It's authentic. Craig, yes. So uh, Josh, you, you've given me a great segue, Josh, that you mentioned. <clears throat> we met Josh 
uh, on a hiking trail, and then he uh, he was on a, an episode uh, of the podcast with us when we were sleeping in a cave. Yeah, if you caught that one, uh, Josh and I went on a on a canoe trip together. Uh, he has a kayak, but we'll say it's a canoe trip. And I went up a day early and stayed the night. And when I got to uh, the campsite, so beside my car, there was nobody there. Nobody. So you drive 45 minutes, 30, 45 minutes off-road down some pretty crazy roads. And then you arrive at this campsite on the river. And I drove around the campsite and there was nobody there because it was a Thursday night. Zero. Mm. Just it just kind of didn't really. I wasn't expecting that. So is that at, at Harry's hut <clears> there? Yeah, yeah. Because I knew you guys were going. You did sort of put the invite out. I just couldn't do it. I just had too much on that weekend. So yeah, I was yeah. sitting here depressed and jealous and feeling yeah, all those I mean, sort of emotions. Those emotions are all valid because it was the most epic weekend. <laughs> oh no, known to man. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> so yeah, I stayed there the Thursday night. And it was really cool because I, I went down and. Um, and just kind of wandered around, and then I set set myself up for the night, had some dinner, and the next, oh, about, must have been around, oh, late morning the next day, Josh turned up. Yeah. By that stage, I'd already had a swim, and I'd packed everything up, and already had my canoe in the water. And, yeah, then we took off together, did two nights, did two nights with Josh at two different campsites. And did uh, then he came home, and I stayed an extra night um, up the river, and that was um, that was quite interesting actually. Uh, I always feel like I overshare on this podcast, but I do that because I think other people out there probably have had similar experiences. It was a very strange dynamic because <clears throat> when I was by myself on the Thursday night, <clears throat> I knew that. Josh was coming on the Friday and I'm all excited. Josh gets there and we're all stoked and we paddle up the river and we spend two nights together. Then Josh paddles away, literally paddles away from my campsite. And then all of a sudden there's just dead silence and there's nobody else around. And so the dynamics quickly shifted and uh, it was just, I don't know, it was weird. It was, um, uh, yeah, just kind of this bout of loneliness came over me and it took me a little while to go, hang on a second, this is actually what you wanted. Um, <clears throat> in hindsight, I think if I, for example, if I had two or three days by myself and then he turned up, would have been no dramas. But mm. it's something about having uh, that companion around and then all of a sudden they, they paddle off into the sunset and you're just sitting there. It was, it was just a bit odd. It just, um, I mm. wrote a few notes in, in my journal and stuff uh just a few thoughts and stuff, and it, it just took me a little while to to sit there and say, "Hang on, this is absolutely beautiful and peaceful. Um, it's all good." I don't know. I, I don't know how to articulate it. Apologies. No, mate. That would have been one of those special <clears throat> moments that you can't get anywhere else. In, yeah, in, in it, some way. That's right. And I I put my chair. Uh, this is the beauty of um, canoe camping is uh, I took a full camping chair and packed it in my canoe because I've got a um, two-man canoe and just tons of room and so I sat there on the bank with a with a book actually a book recommended to me by 
uh, Dwayne Bannon Harrison from another episode. So yeah, I, I had a book that he recommended and I was sitting there reading it on the banks of this river and birds were swinging by, uh, another goanna cruised by. Uh, it was beautiful. Yeah. And no, I was, it was beautiful. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, it was, it was just a fantastic, I caught my first Australian bass. We did oh, some really? Lure, yeah. We did some lure fishing and, uh, yeah, I caught a little beast. Um, and I had my GoPro suction capped to my canoe and, uh, I had it pointing in the exact direction that I cast. And when I checked the footage, when I got home, you see the lure hit the water and go plop. And then it's about three seconds later, I start to give it a jiggle and you just see the water go and explode with this this um, rush and then you see the rod bend over and then uh, yeah so we got video of it all I have so much cool content from that weekend mm. um, I was telling you in a text I think my commute to work on Monday without a word of a lie yeah because I said did you get home alright and the, yeah what did you say so I got up at 4am packed up my camp got in the canoe paddled for an hour I uh, got out of the canoe, unpacked it, put it in the car, put the canoe on the car, drove for, you know, that 30, 40 minutes off-road, then got onto the bitumen and drove another hour and a half and got home and then sat down at my desk for work at 9.15 a.m. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> so a, I could do a uh, two-hour drive and a one-hour paddle. Ah, oh, mate, pretty epic Monday morning, eh? Yeah, no, I had a fantastic day. In fact, the whole week has has, <laughs> has been good off the back of that. Yeah, very jealous. I really, I, I was, I knew you guys were going to have a good time. Yeah, it's did, it's been a long time since I've been on the water. Did Josh have a good time? Oh, mate, he he was loving it, absolutely yeah, loving it. That's good. Yeah. Uh, no, we had we had a really good time. Had a lot of really good chats and saw a lot of cool things, beautiful things. And uh, oh, and just quickly, did you go somewhere <clears throat> else? You said. Uh, Have you been away oh somewhere yeah, else? no. So I just did a little um, solo up to that spot where you did your overnighter. Yes, actually, yep. we have briefly talked about that. I briefly talked about that. So that yeah. Are we going to talk about what what um, well, that photo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. Was that um, if you've seen the Instagram post, there's a photograph of me with a. Oh, it's probably like a one and a half meter snake wrapped around my arm. Mm. And uh, I saw three snakes that day, uh, two of them really quickly, and this was one of them. And then I saw, I went past this snake and I, I thought, oh, he looks a bit, a little bit docile. And he was the second one I saw, just, just a python, beautiful though. And I noticed it had a massive, paralysis tick right in front of its eye like right in the corner of its eye kind of really obstructing its vision and a couple of smaller bush ticks down uh, down under its eye and towards its nose and so that's that can't be good and i thought if if he's still there when i come back past i'll have another look at him properly Uh, but if he's not there he's obviously just moved on and he's all good so i went up the river for couple of hours and stuff and then on the way back uh he had moved but he was still in the general vicinity 
coiled up on a rock in the sun. And I thought, oh, I just couldn't go past. So I grabbed him and <clears throat> I got my knife out and was really uh, very um, able to safely and easily just, just flick him off. In fact, the second I touched that um, the huge paralysis tick, it just fell straight off. Uh, I just flicked it into the... Mm the water uh and the other ones the little bush ticks were in a bit harder they they get in between the scales and they actually look like big scales mm. um so i got flicked most of them out and then there was just one um that was kind of embedded and yeah you know, it was close to his eye and I'm, I'm trying to be cautious and i ended up um because it was so close to his eye i, I put the knife down and uh, was able to really grab him um, again, not not hurt, not to hurt him, but quite firmly, um, just around his jaw, behind the head, and that's when he went around my arm. And had I have thought before I did anything, I would have, I would have put. I had a GoPro with me. I could have filmed the whole thing. I, I was going to ask you if this yeah, was just no, a little just, bit of it was just footage. A, no, no, it's not footage at all. It's just a. It's just a dodgy photo off my phone. Yeah, it was. So it's, it, yeah. Um, unfortunately, that's it. That's all you're going to get. But the um, experience for me was mm. was fantastic, and and I was uh, able to let him go, him or her go. I didn't even realize you were on your own. So that would have been wild. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's not the sort of thing that you should um, you shouldn't do it. And I said that in the in the post. Don't don't go doing this, but. <laughs> Hey, as far as I'm concerned now, I feel better about it. I feel better about leaving that thing without a toxic um, paralysis tick in it. It it might not have survived, but it sure as heck has a better chance of surviving with that thing removed um, than with that thing in it. So, yeah, that, there was that. Now, speaking of <laughs> snake encounters, hashtag Australian life. My dad, I, I, dad and I were playing phone tag yesterday, kept missing each other and leaving messages. And then he calls me this morning and says, oh, um, yeah, sorry, I was going to call you uh, half an hour ago. I was just about to sit down with my coffee and I thought I'd just go and open the, the doors out the back. And he's walked out the back into their little barbecue area alcove and they've got a couple of bird cages with different various kinds of birds and doves and stuff and out i don't know if it was off the top of one of the cages or out beside the cage this snake has just launched and smashed him on the hand Oh, what? Yeah, yeah. Both top jaws and bottom jaws got him. And he said the span between the top and bottom jaws was about two or three inches. And it's just bang, it's got him on the back of the hand. And he's jumped back and what the heck? And then it it um, fell to the ground and went under the cages. And then it, that's when he called me. I'm like, Dad... <laughs> Have you, hang on a second, you didn't have to call me, it's all good. I don't know if he thinks 
on the snake whisperer or something because he saw that post. But he's ringing me, asking me, Dad, have you identified this thing? Because you shouldn't be moving around and stuff. Are you sure it was a python? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's just a python. Yeah, pretty sure. Pretty sure it's not good enough. Like, if it just shot out and you just saw a brown blur, then it could have been anything. Uh, so I just, hang, can you just have a look? <laughs> Forget about me. And he's, oh, yeah, have a look. I'll give the phone to your mum. And he uh, has a look and in the corner, and sure enough, it's a it's a beautiful python. But uh, at first he thought it was four or five foot, and then later on he's, oh, no, it's more like six foot. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this monster thing's come in. Um smelling or hearing the birds or whatever and it's come in to try and get in the cages and the fact that it just launched at him wow and he was going to try and get it out and i think he when he realized how big it was i said dad that's a handful and it seems pretty agitated and so they ended up calling a snake catcher and she came out and oh really uh yeah she came out in i oh, probably took her half an hour to get there, she came out and scooped it up, but she said, oh, wow, he's really aggressive. He must be really hungry uh, to mm. to still be that agitated and angry after an hour and a half because, you know, Dad and I were on the phone for ages before he even called, so this thing had time to simmer down, but it, it was not happy. So she, <laughs> she gave the big, you know, the sack they have to Dad to hold. Yeah. And then... When it was hissing and striking and going mental, she said, actually, I'll go get a bigger bag and I won't get you to help me. <laughs> she was worried it was going to launch at him again. <laughs> so she scooped it up and taken it away to um, uh, uh, you know, a safe place. They usually take him. Well, if you've listened to um, the episode with Ross McGibbon, you'll, you'll know all about snake handlers and catches and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, they safely removed it. And then dad, uh, I said, dad, you, you should probably get a tetanus shot because they got the filthiest mouths. And, uh, he rang his doctor and he rang me half an hour later and said, oh, we're just on our way to the doctor. So I got to get a tetanus yeah. shot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so, so cool, man. Oh, You're what an epic, like... Yeah, your dad's just even, if it's possible to go up another level <laughs> in terms of how cool your dad is, man. That's just like karate chopping snakes. Yeah, wow. Um, so funny. Oh, uh, that's a story. That's good. I know. That was today. And I thought, oh, we're recording tonight. I can't wait to tell Craig this. <laughs> Absolute. And I thought, for anyone listening from overseas, this is not normal whilst I have had a snake in the house before it's not normal and they're not normally aggressive and they're not don't normally attack i mean like i said there's a photo of me with one wrapped around my arm which was quite calm while i did that work on it but then you've got this anomaly that's um the dad had and, it, <laughs> and, and you tell that story to any <laughs> international traveler and they uh Yep. Okay, let's uh, <laughs> let's scratch Australia off the list. <laughs> oh, uh, good so times, eh? I think I might have missed though just one little detail there. Was he approaching? Did he know the snake was there? Yes. Not at no? all. No, and it just launched not at, at him. all. He did nothing. Wow. Wrong. That's he did so nothing wrong. He was. Uh, he opened the backsliding door 
and it's about three meters then to open the louvers to let some airflow and some sunlight in in the barbecue area so he'd open the door that's when the snake was obviously alerted to him and he's walked past it and it's fired out at him and attacked him wow crazy so, yeah glad it wasn't mum that's what he said jeez his mum would have had a heart attack oh gee <laughs> ah I I want to talk about uh, I was just talking to Craig before we came on air uh, it's I didn't even know how to frame this we get a lot of people supporting us in many many different ways and that that's as simple as just listening to this podcast or liking a post or commenting or whatever on any anything social media sending us an email all those sorts of things are amazing support to us that's what that's what keeps us going yep we've got one listener who uh insists on sending us big bags of coffee because he knows he knows we like coffee and uh he he said that he he loves the show and all the effort we put into it and we're grateful for everything as as small as a like on an instagram feed and then up to a huge bag of coffee (laughs) so what occurred to me was there's there are people out there that want to want to support us and unfortunately the all of this stuff you know the equipment that we've purchased for the podcast and the ongoing uh podcasting specific hosting i'm I'm not going to bore you with the details but it does cost money it does come out of our pocket so i've thought about it for a while and now i've set up uh, an opportunity for anybody to throw a few bucks at us if they so please it's not uh, we are not requesting that you do that it's just that now there's an opportunity there to to kind of extend any kind of gesture you feel like what i said to craig before he came on air was i want to make it very clear that i'm not trying to say that if you do not send us money, my kids will starve. <laughs> or if you do not uh, donate, we're going to stop the podcast or it's going to be... Uh, it's nothing like that. It's nothing like that at all. It's purely an opportunity if uh, if you feel like chipping in. In the future, I'll probably develop it out into subscriber-only content just to really try and give back to those those people that do uh, really want to be part of, of building this and continuing to grow. I use a platform called Kofi, uh, or Coffee, depends how you want to pronounce it, ko-fi.com forward slash hike or die. Obviously, I'll put a link in the, the show notes and on the website and everything, but I just wanted to let everybody know that that was there, and I guarantee you 100% anything that turns up there, not only do we 100% uh, appreciate it but it will definitely go straight into um, it, it'll go into things like hosting and upgrading equipment it's not going to go into Craig's whiskey budget or uh, any any such thing <laughs> or his um, four hammock addiction <laughs> <laughs> so yeah look that's there use it or don't use it it's there if you want it and I as I said thanks in advance all right Craig all right. Quiz time. Oh, good. Last time was a cracker, wasn't it? That was good. I can't remember what it was, but it was good. Uh, this one is a little bit 
Uh, this one might be a bit tricky. What animal does Australia export to Saudi Arabia? Now, it's a bit unusual, and it might not be what you think. So we're talking live live exports. Live export, right? Yeah. Right. What animal does Australia export to Saudi Arabia? All right. Keep that thought. We'll give you the answer at the end if we remember. If we don't remember, we'll give you the answer in the next episode. Uh, cool. News, Craig, news. I've got to keep moving. Mm -hmm. There's tons of news. This right. one I'm just going to gloss over fairly quickly. Uh, an article popped up, <clears throat> excuse me, just in the last day or so. About a thylacine sighting in Tasmania. Oh, oh yes. <clears throat> I saw that. Yeah. So I don't like to be uh, negative, but I like to be a realist. I, we've spoken about thylacines. If you don't know what a thylacine is, it's a uh, Tasmanian tiger. Not to be mistaken with a Tasmanian devil, which is uh, still alive and well. A Tasmanian tiger is extinct. Beautiful animal. Uh, it's been extinct for about 100 years, hasn't it? Or is it? Or is it? Um, <clears throat> no, it's not quite 100 years, sorry. I tell a lie. The 30s. Anyway, yep. this guy has this video. But but in the video he posted, he doesn't actually show the photographs. He doesn't have a video, sorry. He has photographs from a trail camera. And in the video, he basically says... We've done it. Congratulations, everybody. We've done it. We've proved it. There's not one, but but two adults and a baby. And he sent the photos to a well-known expert in um, <clears throat> all things animal. And the experts come back and said, um, "That's a that's a patty melon um, walking on all fours. It's not a. I'm afraid that's not a thylacine." <laughs> Uh, Paddy Mellon's like a small wallaby or kangaroo of sorts. Mm. And in the same article, <clears throat> there was a video from a few years before that uh, where it came out from behind a garbage bin in suburbia and it was confirmed to be a Paddy Mellon later. And I must admit, <clears throat> when they walk on all fours, because they have a very pointy nose, they do look dog-like or thylacine-like. And because they have bigger back legs, it does create that rounded kind of leg that uh, you associate with the dog. Not, not that a thylacine was a dog, but it is dog-like in appearance. Uh, it's actually a mammal. Mm. Uh, but it does look like a dog. It did look like a dog. Yeah. So, yeah, debunked, man. Debunked. Debunked. You cannot sustain a breeding colony of animals. And like somebody said, if they were out there, they'd be, they'd be popping up as roadkill because they're not going to secretly hide away in the middle of nowhere. Anyway, mm. enough of that. Unfortunate, unfortunately debunked. <clears throat> yeah, it'd be great to see them come back. It'd be great to have them around. They were beautiful animals. Yeah. But they had some huge, big wildfires down there. Um, few years back you think they'd have been running away from that they'd have popped out there yes exactly mate there's a lot of logical um bigfoot would have popped out as well he would come running out with his <laughs> he must not be real <laughs> <laughs> excellent uh 
that I struggled to find happy news uh, for this episode. <clears throat> I mean, I did. I kind of have a little bit of good news at the end, but there was two articles that both came out within uh, four days of each other, and that was just uh, end of last week, start of this week. And they're both to do with uh, Indigenous Australians, Indigenous Australian groups, basically, uh, well, I'll read you the title of one of the articles. It's Traditional Owners Threaten to Close Kakadu National Park. Kakadu National Park is an iconic national park of great magnitude and, and, and pure beauty. It's like the Australian version of the Grand Canyon, if um, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it supports a lot of wildlife and uh, and just amazing, amazing uh, fauna and flora. So, but what they're basically what they're basically saying, and the and in the article they actually say one of the quotes is, "We've had a gut fill." Traditional owners say, uh, "We've had a gutful." That's slang for in Australia. That's slang for we don't. We've had enough. We're kind of over it. And the article's very well put together. I, I, I did enjoy looking through it whilst it was still disturbing and sad. It's, uh, there's been this weird uh, shift because of, uh, because of COVID. It's reduced the number of uh, visitors, which in a sense one would think that that is good. Uh, but in another sense, it's it means that there's not enough tourism dollars there to keep rangers and indigenous rangers employed, so their numbers have dropped. So they're not maintaining the areas as well as they could, uh, but there's still enough traffic there to be to be doing damage. And uh, like like they say, if you, if we want to keep uh, not funding it. Uh, I guess with government um, funding on top of the tourism dollar, then we're going to have to uh, shut it down to all tourists because it's just going to turn into a, a big barren weed pit because once you start to get people not, uh, you know, not looking after campgrounds and doing silly things and all that sort of stuff, and once you reduce the number of of people coming in there and keeping an eye on noxious weeds and stuff like that, like it really could get out of control pretty quickly. Mm. Um, so they were basically suggesting that if we shut it to everybody, then we'll be able to maintain it with less people. It's, it's pretty sad. And uh, I'm not saying at all that I disagree with it. I'm just saying it's... Yeah, it's, but that argument could be made about lots of things. <clears throat> yes, Yes, but um, uh, you it, know they can't just uh, just lock it up. It would be terrible uh, loss of an asset for us to enjoy and to um, learn from, and you know. I think the, the I think the idea would be with a with a view to you know waiting until numbers oh, okay increase, but regeneration. No, no, no. More more like that that the um, people were starting to want to visit the area again so that they could afford to have more people there. 
Oh, so it's mainly um, because of the loss of numbers and the loss of revenue that it's becoming a big problem. Exactly. Oh, I see. Yeah. So the loss of revenue is because of less tourists. Yeah. But there's still enough tourists going through there to do damage and not enough people to come through keeping an eye on it and fixing it up. Right. It's a very long article with lots of lots of great detail. And like this, the um, tw uh, the rangers said that due to staff cuts, there were no rangers available to fight a 2019 fire that caused more than $1 million in damages to houses and equipment. So that was in 2019. Uh, so you can imagine now after the loss of that tourism trade, um, they have even less money to go around. It's just sad, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be against it being shut off to, to tourists, you know, for a period of time. Uh, it's an absolute gem. It is. It really is. <clears throat> and like I said, two articles within the same, uh, in, within the same week. So the Wollumbin National Park Summit, that was formerly known as Mount Warning, a very famous uh, mountain, at least on the east coast of Australia, uh, is is could be closed down permanently. Yeah, I've been reading about that. So that's a different angle, though, in terms of the impact. It's more of a land rights. It's more of a this, native title. No, this article is more about, yeah, I guess it's, um, I mean, there, there still is the, the damage, like people are churning the place up. They get a 100,000 visitors a year. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, right. Summiting it. And it's a sacred Aboriginal place. Yeah. Which is True. really what it, what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah, sure. And there was a really great, great quote here. See if I can find it quickly, which basically said it was from uh, the. Uh, let me try and pronounce this, Bun Bunjalung Bunjalung people. I think I got that pretty close. They basically said that it's a it's a sacred place um, for uh, men to go only selected men for their kind of, uh, their rite of passage, that sort of thing. Mm. And they say that it's very uh, spiritually dangerous for, for women to go there. You know, so that comes from their from their own beliefs and, and history and everything. So, and their own culture. So that that's another tricky one because mm. uh, I, I do respect the, the fact that if, if you had a... Um, a location that was was sacred for, you know, who knows, a thousand years, two thousand years, a hundred thousand years, we don't know. But uh, and then all of a sudden, people are just climbing all over it. It would it would be quite painful to watch. Uh, mm. At the same time, I'd be I'd be sad if every single peak, and I think we've had this conversation just personally, you and I before, if every single peak uh of significance was was shut down and i'd never have the opportunity again to sit on a mountaintop and watch a sunrise or a sunset or take my children up there 
that's that'd be that'd be sad. Whilst mm. I still respect the culture, I think perhaps there's a way of us uh, respectfully acknowledging uh, what it is to summit a particular mountain and taking that into consideration or some kind of a permit system or an application or something uh, like we do when we go to any national park campsite, you have to book in advance so they can keep the numbers under control. And uh, I'd be fine. I'd be happy to do that if, if I had to buy a permit for Sunday to be able to summit a mountain and I was only one of a hundred people that could do it on that day. Mm. So, I don't know. I'm just throwing ideas around, but it, that wouldn't bother me. But if I had, could never access that again, um, yeah, be a sad. Little, little, be sad. little bit sad. But I mean, you, how are you going to respect? I mean, you, you can't, you can't argue with their their theory there no. that this is a very special. No, sacred. that's what I'm saying. If you it's can't been, argue with if that. it's been a sacred site for thousand so, years then we can't say oh it's not sacred to no, us no it's not to us so how can we respect that it's very very challenging I, I guess i'm not talking about these heavily significant ones but other ones oh of course or if if there was some kind of a well uh, similar similarly mate the, the glasshouse mountains just behind just behind us up here you know they they must have some str- well we've talked about their cultural yeah, they significance yeah. And, um yeah it's a 100%, tough 100 percent too and then it it's we're our own worst enemy. Like it's not, it's not so much people like us and our listeners because we're all on the same page, I believe. But it's it's the day trippers that are doing some uh, stupid things, horrible damage, um, just ridiculous things, throwing their rubbish everywhere. And on that uh, trip that Josh and I just did, we saw some shocking displays of idiocy mm. uh yeah we picked up other people's rubbish and um yeah just everywhere we, i picked up a balloon out of the water i don't know how it got there um anyway it's uh it's an interesting one but as i said we're our own worst enemy we go and do these stupid things and damage everything and then things get closed and we oh what are you closing that for Oh well, it's because of yeah. all of this mess. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's not surprising. I mean, even just from a uh, what do you call it, an environmental perspective, you could say we're shutting down this area and this national park now because you guys have half destroyed it. Yeah. As I said, yeah. Don't have lots of happy stories today. <laughs> heavy stuff, man. <laughs> heavy stuff. Uh, I did get a, an email from a guy called Mike. Uh, which fits perfectly into to all of these things. And he noticed our um, Leave No Trace episode and show notes, and he's written an article on Leave No Trace on his website, conquerwild.com. And I had a look through the article, and it's really comprehensive. It's how to Leave No Trace, which is different to, if you go to the official Leave No Trace site, it kind of has a list of principles and, and rules to follow. Uh, Mike's article digs really deep. Like, it's a really long page. It's the sort of thing you would favorite that page and go back to time and time again to, hey, I wonder what I should do with this. And you'd go back as a reference point, find that topic, and then read a bit more detail. Mm. Almost, yeah. Uh, 
some cool videos instructional videos and stuff on there i thought it was pretty cool so i will share that link in the show notes and uh like i wrote back to mike and said wow i just literally got off got back from a four-day canoe trip where i saw some horrific uh well a lack of leave no trace principles so this is a timely little article cool you ready for me to bring it back to a happy place let's go let's go there bush tucker man who I've we've spoken about Bush Tucker Man, Les Hiddens. Hiddens. Yeah, he's a top top bloke. Yeah, uh, if you're not familiar with Bush Tucker Man, you're missing out. He's an Australian icon from the '80s, and his name says it all. The I, I stumbled across an um, an article, and it said that he'd gone digital, and so I checked out his website, which is bushtuckerman.com.au. And it's really, it's really cool. Like you get to learn a lot about him. But what's even more cool is you can select. You do have to log in, uh, subscribe rather, and then log in. But for example, I've selected tropical rainforest here in this drop down, and selected all year round, and hit search. I'm doing this while I'm speaking, and it's all of the vegetation, wildlife, and toxic plants pop up. And then when you click on those, uh, it goes into a lot more detail. If you if you're signed up, you just get all the detail on it and extra information and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a great online reference. And Specific I, for Australia and local areas here, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. And yep. is this something that can be on your mobile? Well, there's no reason why you can't. It's not an app, but there's no reason why you can't log into this on good your if you could phone. access that offline, hey, when you're out in the sky. Well, I don't believe you can access it offline, but yeah, you right. can most certainly, if you had some reception, you can most certainly check it out. And it's the sort of thing that you could look at. What I was thinking was looking at before you go to a particular area yep. and looking at after you get home. The last time I went up, actually on the on the canoe trip, I saw some fruits I'd never seen before. And on that hike where I saw the snake, I saw a fruit that I'd never seen before. And I'm yet to look it up. But I did notice there was a fruit that I've got in my own backyard, the blue quandong. And I didn't know that it was edible at all. But I read about it on this website just this afternoon. Oh, yeah, actually can eat the outer skin. I'll check that out. The that outer skin. Good. Yeah, it's cool. Oh, it's really good. It's a great resource. And he, he's a top bloke. Oh, look at that. Scrub python. Do not let near bird cages. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's lots of cool stuff. So if you're a fan of um, the Bush Tucker Man, there's now a, a reference that you'll be able to use um, Australia-wide. It'd be good if you had a little clip each time of him, like, talking you through it, though. <clears throat> I'm not sure if it has videos or anything. <laughs> yeah, just listening to him is pretty he's cool. Oh, he's a good bloke. Yeah. Ah, Tom's Magical Mystery Media Marshop. 
Oh, yeah. Not much in this this week because I've been busy. I've been away. I've been on a canoe trip. So I found a there's a there's a channel that pops up often in my feed because it's related to I guess everything I look at on YouTube and it's called Life of Luke and yeah he's he's got a bit of a following he, he's a pretty cool guy and the video that I watched was Pit Lake Hot Springs and so what him and his buddy and his dog did was they jumped in their canoe, strapped their mountain bikes into their canoe, put the dog in, and then they paddled for six and a half hours across this huge lake. It was beautiful. Uh, and then they put their bikes back together and rode all the way to these hot springs. And the hot springs are absolutely amazing. The water goes this, they look, there's a shot down through the forest where they first kind of get to the edge of the, um, I guess, the river and look down at the river. And it's this amazing, almost iridescent, aqua, turquoise, green kind of color. And oh, it's just amazing. And then they, they go down there and um, and swim in these hot springs. And mm -hmm. it's just a cool video. They end up. Paddling. Which part of the world is this? Uh, it's somewhere in the in the in the states. Cool. Let me look up. Oh, oh, that's not going to work. I haven't heard of them. Oh, I might have. Maybe show me something there. But um, that sounds good. Yeah, no, it's a good little video, and he's just uh, yeah, he's enjoyable. He's got a beautiful dog. Uh, it's in Canada. Pit Lake Hot Springs. Oh, of course. British Columbia, so Canada. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's gorgeous. So yeah, that's a that's a great little video, just a short one. They ended up paddling um uh fifty kilometers in two days, so back to back hmm. twenty something kilometers per day, which is a lot. I've done twenty one in one day, as have you. And Mm. That was brutal. But the next two days, we we halved the distance. Um, but he he did two of those days back to back. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it yeah. was across a lake, so it wasn't a, with with a bike in the back. <laughs> two bikes in yeah. between them, and and uh, it was a little bit choppy. So they would have worked pretty hard. Yeah, right. Uh, what I love about the interaction, and I'll and I'll talk more about this when I get to shout outs next. But the I never could have imagined that our listeners would be so kind of forthcoming in in their own experiences and, and, and things that they find along the way. So a friend of the podcast, Robin and I were talking uh, in, in messages back to and from uh, in Instagram because he was saying how much he enjoyed that uh, Green River no, not Green River, Green Forest video that we keep talking about every single episode. Yeah, we do. Yep. So then he sends me this other video that was pretty cool. And then I sent him another one and I thought, oh, I might as well share that with the rest of the viewers. If you haven't heard of Advoco Makes, that's the name of his YouTube channel, Advoco Makes, jump on the show notes and, or, you know, Google it or jump on the show notes and I'll put the video on. But this, this guy is an ex-lawyer. 
uh, somewhere in Russia or the Ukraine, I think. And he's gone into the forest and built this massive log cabin. But it's not just rough and ready. It's it's actually beautiful. Like his workmanship is, is stunning. And then he makes every single thing that he needs out of timber just to like he makes workbenches and he ends up um splitting a log and making perfect planks out of it and then cutting them up into perfect pieces and he's got a really uh he must have some kind of an engineer mind or skills or experience or something because he creates this uh turbine that he then puts in the river. Oh yeah. And it and it generates oh, wow. electricity. That's cool. Yeah, like it's not the same. But they the kids have been watching all this stuff where they build these um oh, I don't know, they make use clay and they use sticks. Oh and uh, are they those crazy Balinese? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're incredible. And they build this amazing stuff. Can and you do, just, just can't stop most, watching it. No, they're they just get there with mud and sticks and heaps of bamboo. And they'll build underground swimming pools and That's stuff. That's right, with slides into it. Yeah. And it's all hidden stuff and then, um, yeah, big pens for, for dogs and stuff to live in. And, like, it's amazing. I mean, it scares me because I think, yeah, that might be fun for a couple of days, but at some point I, the structural integrity of some of those caves I don't trust in the, <laughs> in their wet season or something. But, no, the, the, the ingenu- ingenuity and creativity... Yeah, it's epic. It's cool watching stuff where people have real got really got yeah. their, their shit together with stuff like that. Those talents, you know. I know. I remember that guy. That uh, I mean, he still puts out videos, but it just blew everyone's mind about six years ago when he he built that that hut from um, scratch in the in the forest, and he put in a um, heated floor, so he would. Um, put in a false floor and he could light a fire and it would heat the floor and then he baked individual clay tiles and built a roof on his cabin oh right oh man like the detail and and he's honest he says oh this was a i can't remember how long but it, it wasn't he didn't just sit there and do it for a week he did it yeah uh periodically over a long, long time some of those off-grid building sort of things was it yeah yeah uh yeah, I do. I do enjoy that stuff, and I think I think it's a, a little bit therapeutic to sit there and watch someone else doing hard work while I'm just stuffing potato chips in my face or something. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds like you found a cool one, though. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and once you go looking at his stuff, it's just a, a rabbit hole down yeah. to more and more of his videos. Uh, okay, so. What I was talking about before about um, the kind of community that we're we're growing and and the way that everybody's interacting and the I mean just the way that we're able to kind of introduce people to to new topics and and thought processes and that sort of thing and then in this occasion I've actually been able to 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 introduce two people together uh, so. Oliver is a 13-year-old kid from Western Australia. Hmm. And he emails me very politely. Again, 
these I, we get kids emailing us from around the world. Remember that girl that emailed and asked for some um, advice on building a shelter in her local woods? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's when we yeah, were out yeah, in the bush yeah. and you were telling just, us that. I think she was only nine. It's incredible. I love it. I love that you're already out there. So Oliver emails me and says, um, I won't read the whole email, but he says, thanks for the great stuff you guys are putting out there. Uh, you've truly inspired me to get into the outdoors. Uh, right now I'm training for my third full marathon in his hometown, uh, which is great. A 13-year-old um, training for his That's third great. marathon. Yeah, for sure. I love that. And uh, he said that one day he's hoping to finish a 100-kilometer ultra run. Jeez. In addition to, he's got other he's got other goals, climbing the seven summits. Yeah. And completing the, like crossing the Bass Strait, which if you remember correctly, I think it was the last episode, three brothers crossed the Bass yeah. Strait. So we, we, we kind of went into a bit of detail about what Bass Strait was. Uh, so the, he asked, there was another email, a couple of emails back and forth. He asked me about... Uh, personal locator beacons, all that sort of stuff. He's already got one. How cool is that? I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure he said he already had one. Yeah. But he was just asking what we thought um, were good ones. He was asking about the inReach. Yes. Which we've both got. So I was sitting there and I was thinking, well, hang on a second. We know a guy who's climbed six of the seven summits and was uh, in the process of training up for the seventh being Tom Fabry, who was a guest on episode 26 okay, yep. last year. And I thought, well, I might just shoot Tom an email before I email Oliver back. And so I emailed Tom and said, hey, look, we've got this young bloke. He's super, super interested in the outdoors and everything. And and I just wondered if you, if you didn't mind being put in, you know, contact because, you know, it might be really useful from for him and so this is a caliber i mean this is a caliber of the kind of people that are in in the outdoor community he's he's written back and said i love it do it like i if we can if we can encourage one person to get outdoors especially young people we've we've done a good thing and so i put a i gave him Oliver's, I introduced them both via email. Sorry, this is a very long way of getting to a simple story, but it's such a beautiful uh, ending. So Tom writes to Oliver and copies me in and says, um, and I hope Tom doesn't mind me reading a bit of this out, such a pleasure to meet you. It's exciting to see someone at your age take an interest in setting goals. Setting goals will change everything about your life. Um Remember, there are no limits, so set big, audacious goals. That's really something that Tom would say, isn't it? It is. That's good. <laughs> Dream big, my friend. Yeah. Uh, and he's given some fantastic advice here. Saying, I didn't learn about goal setting till I was in my 30s, and so you're way ahead of the game. Just given, just fantastic email, beautiful email. Mm -hmm. And then he says, uh, send me your address. I'm going to send you an autograph copy of his second book, plus... Uh, a poster of me climbing the highest peak in Antarctica. <laughs> oh, cool! How cool is that? And so, yeah, I'm so I'm so happy, Oliver, that I was able to connect you, and 
Um, There's a special sort of matchmaking you're doing there, Tom. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I like it's, it. Um, it. It's cool. It's cool. I like I like that was a real feel-good moment, and that's why, like I said, bit, of a, lo- bit of a long-winded story, but, no, mate, you didn't, but, but you know. the outcome there is something special, and who knows what Oliver's going to go on to achieve. And He's already 13, so who knows? The podcast might still be around when he starts hitting all of his adventures and we'll get him on. <laughs> no, you certainly hadn't let me onto that one, man. That's pretty special. So, yeah. Yeah, good I on, like that. Good on you I for like doing that. that. Oh, wonderful. All right. It's time for the quiz question. See, I'm very clever now. I actually put the answer <sighs> down in my notes at the bottom so I don't forget it. <laughs> so, yeah, before we hand over to the interview with Nick, what animal does Australia export to Saudi Arabia. Do you want to have a crack, Craig? I have no idea, but I will have a crack. Okay. I was going to say python. A python? Mm. That's, I see where you're going with the kind of rich prince who wants, <laughs> who wants to have I've snakes seen, all around. I've seen stuff. lots of Indiana Jones movies. They've got yeah, them everywhere. Every, yeah, that's right. Everyone in Saudi Arabia has pet snakes and usually some... Um, no. A scantily clad lady or something <laughs> that dances with it. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's no? not it's not pythons. Yeah, funny that it's camels. Ah, oh, you think they'd have enough? Exactly why it's so unbelievably unusual. It's um, they have a camel shortage. Now, what's um, really interesting is many. So they used to put them on ships and shipped them over. But then we had a massive crackdown in Australia a few years back where we reviewed all of the live export trade and cut most of it out and uh, conditions had to significantly change. They want the camels so badly that then they started flying them over in aeroplanes yeah. I mean, the Arabs have deep pockets. There's no surprises there. Right. But uh, so they basically train them up in Australia too. They say, well, if if they're going to pay that amount of money, not only will they um, be flown over uh, in a plane, <laughs> business class, then, but we'll also train them up to a point where by the time they get over there, they're not, um, you know, they're not a pain in the butt. So they basically have them 99% ready to rumble. So I thought that was fascinating. I did think, you know, those, um, I've been on a few flights. One one in particular, I had to fly two hours to Melbourne once. And actually, it might have been a return. doesn't matter. I get on the plane and I'm walking down each aisle and you're looking at your ticket and you're looking up at the number. Oh, and then you kind of look ahead three or four rows down and think, oh, I wonder which row it is. Oh, I hope it's not that smelly guy or whatever. And then I got to this, um, I got to this, my row, and my seat was in between this massive guy and this and this lady. And so I basically lost a third of my space to this guy and it was, the longest two hours of my life. Mm-hmm. For imagine like, you're getting down there and you look down and you go, oh, I 
bloody camels. Sitting next to a camel. Oh, just my luck. Yeah. In between two camels. At least they're trained. That's all I can say. Well trained camels. They're not wild. Oh. Yeah. No, I wouldn't have guessed just that. Just my luck. There you go. There's the quiz. Always fun. <laughs> <laughs> always informative. We always learn. Yeah. Uh, on to Nick Monaghan. The I think the the chat with Nick is gonna is gonna spell it out. I don't need to go into any detail there. That's for sure. But Nick's passion for insect photography is is you you get to learn pretty quickly, don't you, Craig? In the conversation, that is it is an obsession, right? Yeah. He's just the thing about it. He's passionate in so many different ways. He loves insects. He loves photography. He loves photographing insects. He loves discovering insects that he's he's never seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's had his photograph published in in books and uh, kind of reference guides and things like that because of um, the quality of his images, but also the. Uh, sometimes the rarity, like he's been able to capture images of things that nobody else has, has um, spent enough time to get. So it's a, it's a fascinating uh, micro world that we kind of get into and discuss with him. And mm. it's an, a unique type of photography. And I, I guarantee you when you go and have a look at his website, the second you see that first image of the spider pop up in the header of his uh sorry i probably scared a few people away then think i'm never going to that website when you see that that spider pop up it just blows your mind the level of details when you can see every single individual hair on a a spider's face or or legs yeah i'm actually not sure if it will come across in the in this conversation how passionate he really is until you go and see his website and you see all of the detailed images and the catalogues of images and how much he must live and breathe this stuff. So, yeah, you kind of think, oh, wow, he's really into this. But then when you go and see- <laughs> It's massive. There's thousands and thousands and thousands and he's he's categorized them into yeah. every different species and he, subspecies yeah. and, and they have, uh, what was the- um, I th- I'm not sure if he explained it to us. That's right. So he's broken things down to, I'm just on his website at the moment, species, genus, tribe, subfamily, family. So we're going down here. So species is the largest group and we're going down. Uh, what was I up to? Super family. Uh, I can't even say that word. Micro pick order. Hyper pick order. <laughs> Mega giga pick order, picker order, on and on, suborder, order, class, film, and then kingdom. Mm. He breaks every image down into that. That's absolutely fascinating. Mm. You know, definitely, he definitely can nerd out on bugs, which is fantastic. And I think that he lets us in on some of his, his sort of techniques as well, which yeah. I was wrapped, I was actually all wrong in how I thought he was taking these photos. But you'll see that and um, yeah, yeah. try not to laugh at me, please. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I love that it's, um, I think we talked about this too, that it was the, it's the life unseen is such a, 
really cool way to describe yes, what... Yes, that, so that's the name of his website, lifeunseen.com. And when you... Um, think about His tagline is the yeah. art in nature, and I think that's beautiful. But when you think about it, it is life unseen. It's the stuff that you walk past or over uh, every day of your life. And when you stop and capture a photograph like this, you realize that it's a an intricate... Uh, Mm. life form and and somewhat beautiful close up on some very mm. special stuff there's a cool video of him in a uh, an abc news article i'll include that um link in the video in the show notes as well and it's just a little bit of a like a mini doco on him cruising around um the sunshine coast mm. photographing things yeah, it's interesting Yep, we're big fans of Nick, so this will be mm. um, something to, for you guys to get your teeth into and have a look at. I'm sure yeah. you'll love it. Yeah. I think I'm going to leave it at that and say uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And if I haven't said it enough times, uh, thanks for your continued support. All good, Craig? All good. All right. Enjoy. See you next time, guys. Or maybe I'll just you'll just hear me next time. How about that? <laughs> See ya. Bye. Welcome to the podcast, Nick Monaghan. How are you, mate? Gentlemen, thank you for inviting me along. I'm very well. That is good. Uh, we spoke just a few minutes ago, and we have information that you've got yourself a vodka there. That is correct. <laughs> That's the uh, way. If I rattle this, you can hear the... No, you can't hear the ice. <laughs> yeah, we can. No, we heard it. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. <laughs> mate, uh, one of the um, things that I guess... Uh, we struggle with with a lot of guests is uh to kind of describe them you know in a way that's not derogatory of course <laughs> but uh, um i was wondering what how do you describe what what you do with your with your macro photography what what's your elevator pitch well basically uh the i guess the mission statement is to go out and find and photograph as many australian insects and spiders as i can without collecting anything yep. um, without doing any harm or damage and then try to identify them and share them with the world on my website. Uh, that's pretty much sums it up. That is the end of the podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for coming, guys. That's been Excellent. fantastic. Thanks, boys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So um, which came first? Was it the love of insects or photography? Oh, it was it was the insects. I think you know the the fascination with the insects was with me since I was a kid. Um, I think I sort of uh, grew up, I suppose, in an environment where we were sort of at that time outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne, so we're surrounded by paddocks and uh, a lot of um, natural vegetation. And uh, my parents, when we went on holidays, always used to take us to national parks and things like that. So. I think it was just always a fascination from that time. I actually used to collect insects and, you know, pin them in a box that, that my grandfather made when we were kids. So, uh, yeah, that's obviously where it started first. The photography started after I left high school. Okay. Yeah. Was that photography of insects? No, no. The um, the insect photography started very late. Uh, I think initially when I left high school it was just uh, – just suddenly developed an interest in photography. I think probably looking at National Geographics and things like that um, and trying to 
replicate what they do. And over time, I think I always wanted to photograph the insects, but at the back in those days, I never had the time or the money in the same place. So it was a matter of just honing my skills with my general photography. And then uh, once I ended up moving up to Queensland in the early 2000s and made the decision to get a digital camera, it was at that point I decided that the camera that I get has to be half decent with macro capability. And so that's what I basically targeted when I went into the camera shop and said, right, just line them up and I'll take some macro photos and I'll pick the best camera. Mate, and that's where it started. Thanks. I'll go to my first question. You talk about the the money there and getting that camera. What about the time? It must take so much time. And is that um, it's because I don't quite know how to do it the way you do it or does it seriously take a lot of staking out little insects for them to come into the right position or, or, or what's that about? Um, I'm in terms of macro photographers and, and, and insect lovers and entomologists, entomologists in general, I think I'm probably one of the more fortunate ones because I'm more of an opportunist. So when I go out, usually I won't look for anything in particular. Mm. So basically I'll just say, right, this is where I'm going to go today. I'll go to that spot. I'll get out of the car and I'll start walking at a meter an hour and just look at everything and just wait to spot something or you know see a movement a or a meter color. meter an hour. Are He's not you kidding, serious? mate. Wow. Not, now, just for the listeners, just to be perfectly clear, I've done, what, probably three, around about three little escapades with you, Nick, when you've been- You still haven't got it over it, have you? No, I still haven't <laughs> got over it. Uh, so uh, one day- yeah, I guess we only covered about 500 metres in a couple of hours. Uh, the next time we went out, it wouldn't have been even that much. And then the last time we went out, we covered a lot of kilometres, but that was specifically to get from uh, the car park down deep into the um, into that kind of Rainforest River area before... Oh, down at Condalilla. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So that we got all the way down <laughs> before he even started taking photographs and and i think we only covered about 300 meters of of riverbed and we were down yeah, there for, for half a day to give you some idea when i went up to uh northern queensland in 2013 um the the first day i went to mossman gorge i ended up going there twice but the first day i went there uh it took me eight hours to cover the two and a half k circuit yeah, <laughs> we're gonna work on your so, fitness, brother. Yeah, man, your fitness ain't good. <laughs> <laughs> Most of that was on the belly, gasping for breath. Uh, um, yeah, so it's and that's. I mean, honestly, that's the probably the key to what I do is just. A, and and Tom, you've said this before too. Slow down, look down, and just look at everything, and eventually things reveal themselves, um, and. You know, and when you get into a real hot spot like you know northern Queensland or even even where you guys are in in um, southeast Queensland, you have to go slow because there's so much diversity in such a small area that it's you know it's almost impossible to take a step without seeing something. Yeah, hundred percent. And that right. um, little yeah. little mantra that that stuck with me, as you know, that slow down and look down is uh, in in the first video I ever put on youtube uh i'm wandering yeah. wandering around um the rainforest and i actually actually 
say, oh, an old friend of mine once once told me this, and and he's he's not wrong. You can you sit down yeah. on a log or something, and it tends to happen to most people when they're taking a break from hiking. They'll sit down, yep. and all of a sudden, they see birds come out that they didn't see. They see insects come out that they didn't see because you pause for a second and give everything a time, you know, time to catch up with their tiny little legs. <laughs> Hmm. So yeah, exactly. It's exactly. Uh, no, it's fascinating, and uh, you know, I've taught my boys the same sort of thing. Just sit down and and watch, and the and the world will come alive around you, rather than kind of actively trying to seek something out. I think it's quite interesting. Exactly. And and there are times when I will find something. Uh, like one example was a little dragonfly. This was up on Mount Timbiwa, just outside of Noosa there, and. Uh, this particular dragonfly, it's called a banded flutterer. I sat for an hour waiting for it to land on one particular twig because they're very territorial, so they always end up landing in the same spots. But I waited for an hour for it to sort of come back to this one spot so I could get a, a decent photo of it. So there's a little bit of patience required. Jeez, a lot of patience, man. Yeah, it's incredible. You see, and I think what um, I think people would find fascinating but at the same time hard to kind of comprehend is a wildlife photographer might might do that for uh you know a, a big moose or whatever uh a deer or something like that and people kind of think oh yeah that, that kind of makes sense but when you're mm. talking about this tiny little creature waiting for this tiny little thing to fly do a meter circle and come back and land exactly where you've got the camera set up in focus and ready to snap it's uh it puts a completely different perspective on you know what you're trying to achieve yeah and you know and of course they can be pretty flighty so you know there's times when you know i might have to just keep following an insect for ages getting it into it getting into a position where it'll sit still long enough even for one shot Mm -hmm. um and you know like some of the some of the insects that i've found um, I've literally just got a single photo of them. Um, so like I said, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's the opportunity. You've got to take it while it's there. Uh, and look, I miss a lot, but that's just the name of the game. And people sort of say to me, well, you know, why don't you collect them and put them in a little homemade studio or something like that? And I said, no, I refuse to do it because, you know, I want to, I want to capture them in their natural habitat, hopefully showing their, their natural, uh, behavior. Mm-hmm and just take the photo and walk away. Yeah, that's that's incredible. It's kind of full circle from where you started as well when you were pinning the poor little buggers into a box. <laughs> yeah. It, was, it would have been easier to take photos of them back then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I, but don't, yeah, don't get me wrong, though. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not some you know, bug-hugging, uh, bug-hugging hippie, uh, hippie because uh, if one of them bites me, I'll bite back. <laughs> <laughs> the... Uh, Having spent time, haven't had the, the opportunity and the, the pleasure of actually kind of witnessing you in action, it is completely and utterly uh, different to what I anticipated. I really, you know, as, as you know, Craig sort of was in shock at how little distance you cover. I mean, that was definitely the first thing that stood out to me. The other thing was, mm. you, you know, on that day we had two quite different 
uh, situations, one where, just like you said, you're chasing something around again and again and again, and then other situations where you're like the insect whisperer and it, they, it's like they know they're getting their photo taken and they posture up and they take their time and <laughs> Nick's grabbing the branches and sh- moving them all around and... They show a bit of thigh. Yeah, they get it, get into it. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's incredible. Sometimes you think, oh, that that as soon as he goes within half a meter of that insect, it's going to take off. And Craig, unless you've looked on Nick's website, you wouldn't understand the light rig he's got goes right over the top of the insect. Oh, I was going to ask just, about lighting because I imagine you there. crawling around with a big with a tripod that's like got a, a you know really low range ability, so you can get right down on the ground. But it has to be on a tripod the whole time. I'm imagining. No, he's uh, handheld. There's golden rule. Golden rule number one: I will never carry a tripod. Are you serious? Oh wow! I'm okay. Never. This is where I wanted to have a little chat with you. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if if this was planned to talk about you know. Macro 101. Well, that's, that's just blown half an hour of a interview about tripods, hasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> he needed some advice on his tripod. Oh, man. <laughs> I had several <laughs> questions about tripods. <laughs> I will save them for the next interview. But no, I, I thought- don't, don't, in, don't insult me by asking about tripods, please. <laughs> Wowzers. All right. Well, so, Matt, good job, mate. Insulted our first guest. Well yeah, right. So, that's okay. it. I'm out of here. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, it's all handheld. Um, yeah, basically, it's all handheld because, I mean, tripods are just awkward, and even even the little ones they get in the way. They're about and... as awkward as Craig asking that question. Yeah, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Just just tore the romance out of this interview. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, they are they're just they're cumbersome. They're awkward, and you know, oftentimes I'm sort of you know trying to get in under a, a log or, or right into a shrub. And when you've got this extra bit sticking out everywhere, it's just not good. So minimal minimal gear. But what grabs... So it's purely... Yeah, of course. But what grabs me about your photos is the sharpness, dude. So I thought perhaps they have to be steady on a tripod. Um, either that or you're using some amazing... Well, obviously lighting comes into it to, to let you get that, that sharpness. Yeah, well, that's, that's the second part of it is that uh, probably... 99% of my photos have been taken using a flash. Okay. Um, so, and and that, that's been the biggest challenge from day one is perfecting the lighting because, like, natural sunlight's great, but there are times when the sunlight can be, can literally be too much and you can end up with harsh shadows or, um, you know, reflections you don't want. Mm. Um so over the the years, I mean, I started doing this in 2005 and, and ever since that time, I've always worked on trying to get the lighting right to produce a good, even light that looks like natural uh, sunlight, um, but it's, it's enough to remove harsh shadows, remove glare, um, what, you know, what they call specular highlights. When you, know, you photograph something shiny, you get this real one- super bright spot um so that's why i started working on diffusers and all sorts of things so um yeah that, that's been the, the ultimate challenge and it's only in the last four or five years that I've, I've actually got to the point where i can say that i'm i'm finally starting to take the photos that i've always wanted to take wow um and that's a big thing for me because i'm a 
horrible critic of myself. So, um, yeah. yeah. But you're happy with how you get the lighting right now, and is it a cumbersome? What sort of a, uh, a rig is it for the lighting? Is it some? It's not mounted to the camera, I'm sure. And then it's. Jeez, you're sure about a lot of things that, hey, well, that you're wrong about. I don't know. Is it? <laughs> um, okay. Everything is attached to the camera. Wow. Okay. So basically, the rig I have, um, I guess, to go through the, the the technical specs, I use a a Canon. 5D Mark IV, um, which is has a full-frame sensor, which is great for macro photography because it means that when you use proper macro lenses, you can actually get more in the frame. So yep. you can photograph larger insects, and uh, especially with the lens I use, which is it's called the MPE 65mm macro lens, mm. and it's a pure macro lens. So uh, if you can imagine, uh, it, it can zoom anywhere from one to five times magnification um, at the one-to-one ratio the maximum focal distance is four inches wow and that's Ooh. so that's as as far away as i can be from an insect using that that lens True. if i use the five times magnification which i never do because that's like looking down a, a completely dark tunnel the maximum focal length is then one and a half inches. Wow. And, of course, you add to that the depth of field, which is the amount of uh, focus you can have between two points. The depth of field is a matter of a couple of millimetres with most of them. Hmm. So, uh, you know, I might be able to get the, the beetle's face in focus, but two or three millimetres behind that, it starts to blur. Mm. So that's what sort of depth of field you're talking about. And for my lighting, I use a, it's called an MT24EX twin light flash. So it's like a a, a unit that uh, sticks onto the hot shoe and then there's two flash heads that uh, actually attach to the front of the lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a ring that sits on the front of the lens and the, the two flash heads sit on top of that. Mm. And they can swivel and uh, you can move them up and down so you can actually spread the flash to whichever direction you want. Uh, And I can also set which flash produces more power. uh, And there's just so many settings I probably still haven't played with, to be honest. Mm. And to tame all that, I had to develop my own diffusers uh, made of... uh, I bought a couple of uh, these... um, Gary Fong puffer fuses, which is like these plastic uh, sort of half dome things that I stuck on the front of the flash heads, but that was still wasn't good enough. So I had to add a couple of layers of this really lightweight wrapping foam that uh, like the, they use at the post office. Right, Tom's just so, Tom's just actually showing me a picture of you in the ah, field, mate. Yeah. That's really cool. How how much does that all weigh? Do you reckon? Is it is it heavy? Um. I think the whole the whole setup there is probably. I must have said I never weighed it. Mm. I don't know. Um, I've got a set of scales in the bathroom. Maybe I should just throw it on there. <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess it's probably a bit over a kilo. Yeah, maybe one and a half, something like that. Yeah. Um, and you've got course, to hold it. You've you know, got to hold it pretty steady for a fairly long time. It must get heavy after the at the end of the day. Um, yeah, I think. It's probably just something you get used to, I suppose. Yeah, good. Um, 
I guess like anything else with macro photography, I guess I'm sort of a match fit. So, you know, I just know that, you know, between shots, I'll just let the camera hang down below my neck and, you know, I'll just let it go. Um, so, you know, I usually keep a bit of energy in the tank. But, um, and, and obviously with keeping it steady, mm. that's where the flash comes into it. Right. And, and the camera settings that I actually use, they all combine to actually make that photo freeze. Yes. So yes. that's that's where it really um, works. That's where the that's where that's what really makes or breaks the photo is is the actual settings I end up using. Um, yeah. For all the, the the technical buffs out there, I have the camera set at ISO two hundred, maybe two hundred and fifty, which means that there's very little grain in the images. It's very low. Yeah, that's yeah. very low. It's good. But because that's so low, and because this macro lens is actually a very dark lens i then uh i'll use a shutter speed of one uh one two fiftieth of a second mm -hmm. and i'll use a an f-stop of 14 which is like it's a, very as high. about as high a very high as high a depth of field as you can get with that particular lens i think the highest is f16 and then i'll obviously set the flash to uh, just varying levels, depending on on the background, the the lighting, the natural lighting conditions, and so on. And then with all that combined, especially with that that shutter speed and the flash, that's what freezes the photo. So hmm. you don't really need super steady hands to be able to accomplish nice sharp images like that. Hmm. Yeah, that's amazing because they are sharp. I mean, we just looked at a couple of like the 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 face of a of a, a spider and the, and and his body's out of focus, but his eyes and face and all his furry whiskers are just incredible. Um, yep. And you're doing that with a, a fairly large high f stop. So yeah, that's incredible photos and must have a lot to do with lighting. And I'm I'm very impressed. Yeah, like I said, the flash pretty much does a lot of that work. Right. Um, you know, without that, you know, if I had to rely on natural light, I would then have to shoot at very low shutter speeds and um, mm -hmm. lower f-stops, so I'd lose depth of field. And, of course, then on get a windy blurry. day, you get motion blur and it's it becomes a bit of a nightmare. Uh, and, of course, the other, the other thing with that lens to keep in mind is it's all manual focus. Oh, right. So... And as a matter of fact, it's not even manual focus. I mean, you, you decide how far you want to zoom in or out, and then you just have to move the camera until you can see the focus. Yep. Right. Yeah. So it's a fixed, so it's a, fixed focal length. <clears throat> yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's just basically, yeah, just pure pure manual focus. And, uh, and that's one of the reasons I actually put off buying that lens for quite some time because, it, quite honestly, it scared me. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, I'm never going to have steady hands and manual focus. No, oh, no, that's, that's too hard. Uh, so it actually took a couple of years to, you know, bite the bullet and get it. That was only when I went to North Queensland. I thought, right, I want the best gear I can get because this be, you know, could be a once in a lifetime trip. So mm. I thought, right, I'll get this lens and see how I go, and never look back. It's the greatest lens ever. Mm. I think the mastery in that control of the light is is something quite special, and it's something that uh, I think. The average person might just look at your photos and say, oh, wow, they're spectacular. But when you take into consideration how reflective, um, well, a whole bunch of eyes on a spider is, mm. or how shiny mm. some of these uh, beetles are, 
you can yeah. start to appreciate how, how much you've softened that off and not blown it out and, and ruined it. Yeah, I think that's a sign. You know you're winning when you're taking photos of, of the beetles that I used to hate taking photos of because they were, they were just too shiny. Um, <laughs> mm, that's interesting. But now, now they, you know, I just I love photographing them. Yeah. So that. Hey, if I could just um, go back a step, man. The other thing you said was that it, it's this um, four-inch focal length. So how do you get that yep. close to some of these critters and not scare them off and not frighten the shit out of yourself too because some of them might want to <laughs> jump on you or whatnot, you know? Like you're really close, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. It's um, – I think – I think over time you get to know what some insects are like. Yeah. Um, now, having having said that I use this MPE 65mm macro lens, I will still always carry uh, a couple of other lenses as well. There's another macro lens I've got which actually uses autofocus, but it it's a lens that I can use from greater distances. Okay. Um, so, but in terms of... Like if we're just talking about using that one particular lens and getting that close, I think it you kind of get to know their habits. You know, there's certain insects you know that if you make the slightest wrong move, they'll just drop off and and disappear. Mm. Um, and there's other insects that like I just know as soon as I see them that they're going to be easy to photograph because one of their first defences is to freeze. All right, and that's that's great for a macro photographer. <laughs> um, and insects that rely on camouflage, beautiful because they're not going to move. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the biggest challenge is things like um, I don't know, for example, jewel beetles. You know, that's that's probably my favourite insect because they're just stunning. But they when they when it's a warm day, and they're in feeding mode on the flowers, they can be really skittish. And, you know, they don't like to sit still for too long. They will take off at the slightest disturbance. So, you know, that's that's when you just got to sort of play the game right and just approach really slowly. And if you can, try and grab the, the, uh, the, the twig they're on really slowly and get yourself in the position to get that shot. And, you know, a lot of times beautiful got the photo other times they drop off or they fly away and so you just got to stalk them and try again so do you have different are you suggesting then that you have different responses from the same insect at different times throughout the day yeah absolutely uh in well using using the jewel beetles as examples again uh they're obviously the most prevalent during spring and summer and on warm days they're very active because they're all feeding they're all off you know they're trying to find a mate they're doing doing their business and so they're, they're not prone to sit still but if you happen to go out on a slightly cooler than normal morning in summer you'll actually find a lot of them actually sleep in the flowers in amongst the flowers okay and and because it's so cool at that time of the day, you can pretty much do what you like and they just won't move. And so you, you've got every opportunity under the sun to get really good, clear shots. So, yeah, different times of the day can certainly influence the, the photo that you can get. Um, I've, had, really I've had days where I've, 
I've had days where I've got nothing because it's been so warm that everything is on the move and nothing wanted to sit still. And then I can go out the next morning and suddenly it's cooler than normal and I can photograph everything I saw the day before because they're all curled up amongst the flowers and trying to keep warm. Okay, so just based on those that comment that you just made there, uh, when you go home on a day where you haven't got a single photograph or at least nothing that you, you consider worthy, what uh, you know, how do you feel about that? Um, well, I actually feel disappointed, to be honest. Yep. Um, I think... I think one of the other aspects of of doing this is you always go out with expectations. You know, like every time it's a nice sunny day and things are in flower, I always go out with that that expectation and that that sort of excitement of maybe finding something I've never seen before. Yeah. And of course, if you, if if I go out and I've spent hours out there and I've found nothing except the usual suspects, and then go home, it's it is a little disappointing, um, but then at the same time, I might have taken a few photos and I might go through some of the photos and go, oh, actually, that's that's probably the, the best photo I've taken of that insect. So that's something. Mm. Uh, so, but yeah, but there's other times when I just go out in the bush and, and it's just nice to be out in the bush and switch the brain off. So whatever happens after, that's a bonus. Yeah, so your, your, worst, your worst day photographing insects is still better than your best day of work? Mm. Oh my wordy! Yeah. Well said. <laughs> not, not so bad, Dad. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> uh, you you bring me to another interesting uh, thing with with what you do. Point about what you do, and that is the the rareness of some of the things that you photograph, or perhaps not the rareness of the insect itself, but perhaps it's it's rare that somebody has actually captured a photo of it, um, mm-hmm. maybe in in some kind of a doing something that uh, nobody else has caught. Like, I, know, I know there's, you've told me in the past, there's been a couple of situations like that where other people in your field have kind of reached out and said, wow, we, we didn't know they did that or something. Uh, um. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I have the the honour of recording the making the first observations of the mating behaviour of a, a particular type of beetle uh, up near Noosa. Yeah. So there's something to tell the grandkids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you feel I'm the first when you watch all those beetles something. doing it? Yeah, yeah um, kind of feel but, like a um, creep. <laughs> yeah, couldn't look away. Um, no, let me take a photo while I'm here. <laughs> hey, if they didn't want me watching, they should have just pulled the curtains down. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's um, true. But uh, no, I mean these. Yeah, you know, well, these particular beetles. Uh, what hadn't been observed was the the female would be walking up and down this tree trunk with a male clinging to her back and there'd be various other males scattered at various points on the tree trunk. So every time she walked past them, one of these males would try and wrestle the other guy off her back. Right. And, but she, she appeared to be doing this deliberately. She would go up and then she'd come back down. And it was almost like she was saying, I want you to test this guy out yeah, to make yeah. sure he see, is definitely the strongest. The, yeah, see who's worthy of hanging on. Yeah. 
Wow. Exactly. And uh, to his credit, he hung on. And uh, <laughs> he wasn't letting go for nothing. Good on him. Yeah. Well done. So, but yeah. So obviously, there's some behaviours that I've seen that that um, perhaps haven't been recorded before. Right. Um, there's some insects that I've recorded in, in certain areas where they weren't known to exist before. Oh, wow, that's sure. interesting. Yeah. So at the time, um, and, I mean, when you're, for example, let's, let's just go back to the, the fornicating bugs. At the time, oh, you had to go there. Did, you, did you know <laughs> that, that this hadn't been recorded or did you publish it somewhere and then somebody else told you? Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. I um yeah, no, I, I just saw these beetles that I that's the first time I'd ever seen these particular beetles. Oh, and wow. I was just taking photos of them because I'd never seen them before and, and you know, it was fascinating and uh at the time I was in regular contact with a biologist based in Sydney and I was actually I actually sent him the photos because I actually was asking if he knew what the beetles were because I hadn't seen them before. Right. And he replied and said, well, this is the name of the beetle, uh, Ampharodecora, but what are they doing? And so I explained it to him. And he said, that's never been recorded before. Can you give me all of the details, including the time of day, the weather conditions, which side of the tree trunk they are on, everything you can think of? <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually write a paper on this and put you down as the first author and we're going to publish this as the first recorded observations of the mating mating behavior of this beetle it's like, incredible oh, wow hey. i just i just took photos of a couple of beetles and now look wow <laughs> so, that's absolutely incredible yeah, it's, it's a nice little thrill for things like that too it's to, to know that i'm contributing something not just taking photos but actually contributing yeah, to yeah. The, the greater knowledge is actually quite it's quite exciting Oh, that's fascinating. What, and what you were just about, yeah. I interrupted you. You were going to give us another example. Well, that's, that's not surprising. Yeah, no, it's, not um, really. <laughs> it's all about you, isn't it? Yeah, pretty um, much. Anyway, next question. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, no, I was going to say, obviously, with you know some of the insects I found, I mean, there's been some insects and spiders that I've found that I've been told have never been seen before. Never? I mean, nobody knows it By anyone. exists. No. Really, that must be a buzz. So, uh, it's a great buzz. It's a great buzz, but it's it shouldn't be surprising mm. because we we know so little about the macro fauna in this country and around the world. Right. Um. I th I think the last last time I heard, I think there's maybe seven and a half thousand described species of spiders, but there's potentially ten thousand or more in the country. Oh, wow. And in terms of insect numbers, we've described maybe half, really? maybe. So there's always a chance for anyone who goes out and looks long enough and hard enough and photographs everything they can find, or, you know, for the people who collect everything they can find, they're invariably going to find something that's never been seen before. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a great little thrill when you send a photo off to someone saying, hey, do you know what this is? And they come back and say, oh, that's that's a new species of spider, no never way. been recorded before. How does that Sweet. work in in terms of uh, naming it? Is it like a botanical plant? Do you get any say in that? Um, well, in my position, it's unlikely unless unless someone is prepared to name something after me uh, or or use a, 
a name that I, mean, I don't speak Latin or Greek, so I couldn't even suggest a name to them. Yeah, uh, I could just say, yeah, I, I suggest you call this a red beetle. Um, but <laughs> in in terms of naming rights, to have something named and described, you'd have to collect it. Someone would have to right. pull it apart and you know check the the uh, the genes. Uh, check the genitalia because that can actually define different species yep. and figure out in the big scheme of things, is it this species? Is it that species? No, it's neither of those. It's somewhere in between. Looks like it's a new species. And then they've got a, I don't know what they do after that, but they've obviously got to submit some recommendation to say, I believe this is a new species and, and it goes from there. And then as far as the naming convention goes, I honestly don't know how they work that out. I know obviously people who collect insects will have sometimes have them named after them because they're the collector. But for people like me who will only photograph them and will refuse to collect them, who knows? I mean, and to be honest, I don't. I don't really care. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do this because I love it and because I. It just gives me so much pleasure to go out and find these things mm. and. If someone else wants to go out and collect them, that's fine, as long as it's not for commercial gain, which I personally despise, yep. collecting things to, to sell uh, you know, to overseas markets and things like that. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, in terms of just going out and appreciating these things and photographing them, and, and I do it because I, I love the insects, I love the challenge of the, the uh, photography, I enjoy taking nice photos, and I like sharing the photos and... Anything comes after that's a bonus as far as I'm concerned. Well, I think you've just answered another question, which was was going to be why, what's the big attraction and why, why not landscapes and why not animals? But it sounds to me like you're some kind of treasure hunter and, and that you've, uh, that, that that's kind of part of the attraction as well as i mean if you go out and and if you were get to go and f photograph australian wildlife the chances of stumbling across you know something new are, i'd say pretty much next to nothing right mm. yeah um yeah it's you probably you probably hit the nail on the head there too because i actually do look at it as a bit of a treasure hunt um you know I, like i said before i like to sort of decide, okay, I'm going to go here today and then I'll go out and I'll, I'll just look and, and the expectation is to find something I've never seen before. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, and the insects and spiders themselves, they, they, you know, when you really look at them close up, they really are astonishingly beautiful and complex creatures. Um, you know, I mean, you, you've obviously seen some of the photos there's, that you've been looking at. There's detail that I did not know existed. That's the best way of, and I mean, exactly. Just, just for everyone listening, as as usual, uh, on on our website, we'll put all references back to uh, Nick's Facebook page, his website, and and you'll be able to see uh, all the fantastic work he does. But it really is in the detail. There's, I, I'm telling you right now, if you've never seen macro photography of insects to this level you're going to struggle to understand what we're talking about until you go and check out the work and then this is all going to make sense because uh you know even that uh 
that green spider in the uh, the header area of your of your website. Oh uh, yeah, Mopsus Mormon, the, the northern green jumping spider. Just incredible. Incredible. Well, put it this way, how big would you say that it'd be like the it'd be about what three millimeters lengthwise? Four millimeters long? Oh no, lengthwise that's actually probably one of the largest jumping spiders in the country. So um the she, because that's a female, the males okay. actually have a nice fur collar, but um, like, I think they get up to a, maybe a, about 10 mil, maybe a bit more okay, than that. Okay, so we're looking at about um, a centimetre long. F- 15 at a stretch, but yeah, yeah. And when you that can... particular one, though, that particular one that I photographed is probably about 10 mil. Right. So my point being, when you can sit here and look at something that was 10 mil in length, and then I can see individual hairs excuse me <clears throat> i can see individual hairs uh across her kind of brow and i could count them that's yep that's what we're talking about here and then these amazing spikes up around her kind of knee which which you would only know by looking at this that they're not hairs they're kind of they look more like spikes or heavier hairs it's mm. absolutely fascinating that the, the, it's, in, in some parts, she almost looks translucent around just below the eyes, like you can see the the joints underneath, and it's just the the hair, the the painted, the red and white, the markings are just absolutely astounding, and you would never ever see this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the other thing too is that when you get right up close, I mean, because obviously when it comes to spiders, that's a very divisive subject people either love them or hate them yeah um but when you get that close i mean you can actually see the life in her eyes as well yeah no and she's that's got exactly she's right. got she's got a personality she's got an expression yeah yeah um and you know there's there's so much more to these these creatures than, than a lot of people give them credit for because you know let's be honest you know a lot of people just just you know bugs a bug a spider's a spider if you see it squash it hmm. um but um when you really take the time to sit down and watch these creatures going about their normal day, the things that they do just blow your mind. Hmm. Yeah. They really do. Yeah, they, they do have little personalities. That's absolutely incredible. Yeah. And then to call it life unseen, which struck me that that's exactly what it is. I know we've all, you know, marched through the bush at a pace and you don't see anything that goes on at the at your feet and you know around you and so yeah so what's your what's your knowledge obviously you are you know a little bit more about critters than I do um but do you find <laughs> do you find that you're learning more all the time and it's really sort of like snowballed as you've come through the photography to now you know a whole lot about the critters or is there someone that you have to go and say hey look what the hell is this that I've found um still have to refer to others um yeah oh, look absolutely it's it's a constant learning curve and and that's one of the things i love about this hobby is that it can never end i can never <laughs> learn everything i can never find them all um so that's that's the beauty of it i think but um you know i think you know when i first started this i was probably a little naive and you know didn't know much uh, actually, I was probably very naive and didn't know much, and now I'm less naive, and I, I think I know even little. 
Yeah. Uh, if that True. makes sense. Well, that, no, but that's typical um, of an art form. That's very typical of an art form. I know it from martial arts. I know it from archery. It's yep. very, very typical. You you approach it, you're excited about it, you get some equipment or whatever it might be, you jump into it and think, oh, I'll knock this over. And quite literally, as you spelled out, the mm. longer you're in it, the more you realize, the less you know, and the more you've got to mm. go. And uh, that's the yeah. point where you either drop off or you really embrace it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, look, obviously, I have learned a lot. Um, I've obviously getting, I'm becoming more to grips with the, the anatomy of the insects because a lot of the times when you're trying to identify something just using your own resources without some, asking someone else, uh, I, I'm a very visual person. So if I've got a book that's got lots of photos in it, happy days. I can look at the photo in the book, look at my photo and go, yep, that looks like it, or no, it doesn't. But then oftentimes you'll find that uh, some of the insects, uh, you identify them by using what they call uh, keys. So And it's, it's, like a, it's, it's like a tree, I suppose, because you start off and it says, does it have two eyes? Yes, it does. Okay, go to question two. No, okay. it doesn't. Go to question three. And then you go to question two and it says, does it have six legs? Yes, it does. Go to question four. Hmm. No, it doesn't. Go to question eight. And so you end up using all these little markers, the shape of the wings, the colours, the the um, whether they've got uh, little uh, punctuations in them or not, and all these minute details, even the number of segments in the antennae. Wow. And, really? and then hopefully if you... If I've got a good enough photo to, to give me a, a clear enough representation to be able to compare that to these keys, hopefully I can narrow that down to maybe a genus or, or a family, but or maybe a genus. If I'm lucky, I can narrow it down to the species level. Um, so it's um, like I said, it's one of these things you just you've just got to keep keep learning. You know, I can go out and take a photo. It could take me 30 seconds to take a photo. It could take me 10 years to identify what I photographed, <laughs> oh, literally. Really? Can you break down, yeah. just for the, the um, people that don't know anything at all, like myself, uh, can you just break down those uh, the hierarchy of the species and genus and all those other crazy words you use? Yeah, I hate you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's It's... I'd actually have to refer to my website, to be honest. Um, is that uh, – there's? I'm on your website right now. Is there a page where I could – is know. it on the order of things? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. It's my website. I don't look at it. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, ladies, and gentlemen, things, yes. uh, ladies and gentlemen, I will recite to you. Uh, so at the top we have species. Now everybody sing along because you all know the words to this. Species, genus, tribe, subfamily, family. Super family, micropic order, micropic order, yep. micropic order, hypercropic yeah, order, mega, mega pico, pick order, pico order, giga pico order. Am I saying that pico order part correctly? Uh, there's a lot of big words. Let's just leave yeah, it at that. Yeah, yeah, very <laughs> I, I struggle kind. with it too. I still, I still can't pronounce half of the things I find. We're only halfway there, ladies and gentlemen. Stay tuned. Uh, yeah, I mean, micro it's, order, it's infra order, sub order, order. Finally, get down to order. Uh, 
uh, class phylum, P-H-Y-L-U-M. Yeah, phylum or phylum, yeah. Phylum. And then kingdom. Yep. So, yep. okay, wow. For anyone who thought this was going to be an exciting podcast, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back at school here. Yeah. yeah so wow. the, um, but that's... The kingdom is the largest um, well, the, denomination. The kingdom is everything. The kingdom yeah, is everything. The kingdom and then is it, everything. Then it yeah, goes the back. animal kingdom, the plant kingdom. So and you're saying you yep. get down to, what did you say? If you're lucky, you get down to sub- species. To species. The species. Oh, right, yes. Species, and that's why the ultimate goal. Yeah. I recall seeing a, yep. a picture of yours of, of what I saw as ants, lots of ants. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently they're all different species, which. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I love yes. that when you, go, yes. when you go into ants. Uh, they're just ants, whole... right? <laughs> Sub, exactly. Subcategory. Yeah. Exactly. But, um, I, th- I think you even made that comment yourself once upon a time, Tom. Mio, when I, you and I first discussed um, getting a website started up, I think you actually said yourself, you know, uh, as far as you were concerned at the time, a bug was just a bug. <laughs> but these photos, these photos have made you look at things a little differently. Yeah. Oh no, it's it. Um, yeah. There's. Yeah, yeah, and I'm repeating myself again, but there's nothing more fascinating than this. And when you look at the detail, you let's put it this way: the human eye cannot see this, and that's the problem. We can walk into the wilderness and appreciate different birds, uh, either via their call or visually, because they can be quite different. A currawong sits down on a tree, and then another bird you know, like a lorikeet comes along and you can see the difference, you can see the details. Two ants move past your foot while you're, you're sitting down on the trail and you just see two ants. But this this is a reality that... I know the know, difference. Yeah. Yeah. Know the difference. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, Maybe, I, yeah. Oh, what's that scent she's putting off? Yes, that's the... <laughs> yeah. No, it's the, the identification, Nick, yeah. that I think is just amazing. And we've got friends that are good at identifying plants and, and different trees, et cetera, and, and animals and um, stuff that we see every day. But this is stuff that I've never seen. I look at it and I'm amazed, mate, that, you know, your photography is what I want to talk to you about because I'm really, really impressed that you can use a camera mm. like this. Um, and, and then obviously the identification is just out of this world in terms of what we usually would um, – would just would call it just an insect, you know, or a bug. So there you go. I believe. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I believe, Craig, that I actually said. I think I said it on a podcast, but if not, I have said it to you in person. That Nick is to uh, insects what um, Josh is to plants. Yeah, I, can, I get that. Yeah, no, I've got that. that early on yeah, here. Yeah, that, yeah. So you know. imagine if the two of them went hiking with us together it'd be absolutely ridiculous i, I don't I, I don't know josh but i'm going to assume this is a compliment yeah it, it is right. he, he, he's on a um he is a good hiking buddy of ours and he uh, we actually met him on the trail and then he's come on a bunch of hikes with us and he recently or recently i say recently it was a year ago yeah. we went on a big hike together and we decided to record a podcast while we were sitting in a cave yeah one evening yep. and he just went loose with his botanical knowledge and uh it, yeah you know I, i've been out hiking with you and you're rattling off these um names and it's just yeah, astounding he, he works in bush regeneration so he has a real okay. thorough knowledge of of the wilderness of the plants and yeah 
Uh, and yeah, I think he'd be he'd be getting off on your chat here. And I think if you got a little bit more into some of the things you've seen, we'd have to be careful. Old Josh doesn't start getting into identifying bugs. I oh, mate. <laughs> well, actually, you can probably tell Josh that I I actually extended my my website uh, a couple of years ago to include wildflowers. Yes, I was oh. going to mention that. Actually, I was going to say yeah. Yeah, that's not the only thing you photograph. I mean, let's yes. not let's not um let's not get this wrong. Nick can take an takes absolutely beautiful landscape photos so let's not he it's not that he can't use a camera you, you've taken some beautiful photos over the years made of various places you've been to um things like mountain ranges uh mm. and you know derelict kind of heritage buildings and stuff like that is, is one that sticks out in my head but then we we had this kind of thing pop up a few years back where you started posting these photos of wildflowers and they are absolutely fascinating so if people a lot of our listeners from around the globe if you perhaps you're not into insects go and check out the wildflowers on nick's website it's an amazing website right and have you um had any publications have you photos done any things for you that we don't know about or our listeners might be interested in um yeah look i Look, to be honest, I'm I'm terrible at selling myself, so I, I don't. <laughs> this is this is not a like what I do is not a, a big commercial venture, but um, my photos have appeared in uh, a couple of dozen books now at least. Oh, good. Um, and these are publications, a lot of them from the CSIRO and things like that. So, just for um, our international listeners, mate, just uh, tell us what the CSIRO is. Yep. You don't have to tell us the yeah, acronym. Just, well, just the acronym tell us no, what they okay. do. Yeah. Well, the, CS, the CSIRO is like Australia's sort of national scientific research body. Uh, they, they cover you know, a lot of different fields, um, but one of the fields that they do cover is obviously entomology, and they have the largest insect collection in the Southern Hemisphere, Wow, uh, which is based in Canberra, uh, which I've, I've had the privilege of going there once and um, been just let loose. Said right, off you go. You can go and open all the drawers and look at whatever you like. And <laughs> wow, <laughs> you see that's it right there. And just for anyone not not listening, uh, oh, sorry, not from Australia, everyone's not listening. Why would you listen to this? Uh, so anyone not from Australia, <laughs> <laughs> anyone not from get Australia, the dump button, get, the, get the dump button ready. <laughs> the uh, the CSIRO is a big thing. It's a big name, and like Nick said before, he's terrible at selling himself to have these guys publishing your work is is astounding it's fascinating i, I just I'm, it's a huge it's just a huge honor for, yeah for, no, to, to have something like that yeah. um but look every now and again an opportunity does come along you know i recently sold a photo to a uh to the university of california for a, a, a journal that they uh, publish on insect behavior uh right. they they use one of my photos for their front cover um i've had Photos appear in uh, the the American Entomological Society's calendar that they produce each year. Wow! Um, so, you know, they're just little things that they just. It's just a nice thrill. Uh, every now and again, you get paid for it. Um, I must admit, these days I'm probably a little bit uh, tougher in that regard. I used to be quite willing to say, "Yeah, yeah, you can use my photos," but nowadays, it depends on who it is. Yeah, because uh, there are times when people will say. Hey, I'm producing this book and I want to use your photo. I can't afford to pay for it. 
Um, but of course, they're producing that book so they can sell it and make money from it. Yeah, sure, so hundred sure. percent. You know, if if I've if I've been out in the bush for hours on end and 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 done all this work over fifteen years to take photos and spend, I can't tell you how many hours trying to identify them, and then for someone to just go, just give me that photo. Mm. Oh. It doesn't sit well with me these days, but yeah. there are. Like the CSIRO, there are people there who have given me so much free time to help me identify the things that I've found that it's, you know, I'm more than happy to say, look, if you're with your next book, if you need some photos, you let me know, I'll help you out. And and obviously I'll end up getting a free copy of the book, which is a bonus for me. So yeah, that's a win as far as I'm concerned. Mm, good. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, good on you, mate. I'm super proud that you've uh, that you've got so much interest in your work. I remember many, many, many years ago um, trying to articulate to you how special your work was, and and you know the 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 hope for me was that it'd be recognised and that people in your field would say, "Hey, this guy's um, yeah, he's all right." Yeah. Well, no, he's all right. You. His I work's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take, take him or leave him, but yeah, take yeah, his yeah, photos. No, but his photos are but, top uh, notch. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think I do recall you and I once had a discussion about whether this was considered a form of art, and I, I still, I still, I must have been, I still sort of struggle with that a little bit to, to consider this a form of art, and I don't know why, but, you know, for me it's just about trying to find an insect and then just trying to do it justice by taking a photo that that represents as close as possible to that the living colours that yes. I can see with my own eyes. Yeah. Um, but is is that art? I suppose. Well, I don't know. mate, have you seen some of the rubbish people put on walls in their house? Uh, yep. Yeah. So <laughs> yep. yeah, if, if that's I think, art, I think you could probably. This is. I art. think you could probably, if you could pick up your cat and make it vomit on the wall, that's art. Well, yeah, yeah, I might. No, I think I, I think I, well, look, I don't get much, but I do get that. I think you're trying to say, and I I love it actually, Nick, that you're, you're trying to like a, get a flat response from this. You're not trying to influence it. You're not trying to color it. You're trying to make it look as natural and as realistic as it can be so that take yourself out of it as much as you can. So that's why it's not art. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, I think um, part of my aim is because I know from the, the day I started this, the the lack of resources that are available at times to identify insects and spiders, um, and especially for people like me. I'm like I said, I'm a very visual person. So if I've got a whole bunch of photos of of certain insects in front of me that I can compare to my photos. Mm. I'm far better off than using written descriptions that that um, you know taxonomists have used to you know the oh, the, mm-hmm. the, promo, the pronotum has a uh, you know a, a recurve and blah 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 and there's punctuations here and mm. the scutellum is uh, you know inverted and it's like half the time you sort of read that and going yeah no you lost me at the bug has two eyes okay but um, for me I think because of the frustrations I had I. I like the idea that I can capture an image of an insect that looks like exactly like I saw it. Yeah. And so if someone else sees it and looks at my website and says, that's what I saw, 
Yeah, I feel like you you, I feel like it'd be a disservice to. Okay, it's different if you were just going out and taking photos of spiders, uh, for argument's sake, and you just wanted to, you know, make uh, posters or whatever. But, make it look scary. Yeah, but if you're, um, I think Secretly, it's a disservice. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> that's, what I'm that's how he comes up with new species. <laughs> yeah. He just photoshops different colours on them. Yep, yep, but you've never seen that. Yep. So the but you've never seen a spider wearing stockings. Have you? <laughs> so the I think it'd be a disservice, as you say, if you're blowing out the colours, um, ramping everything too far on Photoshop. Then it's it's not it's no longer a resource. It's no longer a, yeah. a credible reference. You're seeing it as a reference and a resource. Exactly what Tom just said. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's spot on, it, and that's that's it. The photos are a resource for other people to to use, uh, to help them, and you know, I, I even when it comes to landscape photography and stuff like that. And I actually going back to what you said before, Tom, I actually find landscape photography so much harder than macro <laughs> photography. Oh no way! I oh, honestly oh, do. Yeah. I really, I really. Why do you really, say that? I I honestly, I really struggle to take a landscape photo that I can look at and say, yep, I like that. Is that because you've got to use a tripod? <laughs> Shut up. I don't like tripods. <laughs> um, no, it's just, it's it's a different form of photography. It is, eh? And it's, uh, it's, it's something that obviously I, I still do it because, you know, when you go to places like Western Australia or, you know, the Warren Bungles in New South Wales or Condalilla Falls, yeah. you've got to take photos of where you are because they are just stunning places. Um but I just struggle with getting proper landscape photos. Um, but when it comes to the insects, um, right. yeah, as I said, it's it's more of a resource. So it's that's really know, I, really interesting to hear you say. And and I wanted to talk to you about your photography because it's absolutely beautiful. And then I uh, see landscape. You you turn up, and apart from weather, you can you can know what time to turn up, and you're going to get the falls right or the mm-hmm. or, or, or whatever it is you, you there's just a warning for what craig's about to say i do not condone okay he's going to insult a lot of landscape photographers right now please but continue. i'm just talking about finding the insects that may or may not even be there going on a search you don't have to search for you know bald rock or you don't have to search. No, it's so easy right you just click and forget about yeah, it you know apolog- where it is uh, no you apologies to you Apologies to all you landscape losers out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's no, I can never say that. Like I said, I, I I look at a lot of other people's landscape photos and I'm just in awe and, and in envy, to be honest, some of the photos they take. But here's the just... thing, mate. They're overcooking them. They're overcooking them in post. That's the difference, Some of them man. they do. Yeah, no, it's Some of them true. do. Like... And that's what when you say, uh, you know, you say before that you try and keep it realistic. So... When you unpack that and you go back and have a look at uh, your photographs, I'm just scrolling through a couple here uh, from your Flinders Rangers trip. And when all of a sudden you take that into consideration and realize that you have not overcooked these photographs, it adds another dimension to the the perfection of the image and that it is in fact an art form. Because I could take a rubbish photo of something and and Photoshop it for a half a day and, and make it look you know make everyone go oh wow that that um bird was so colorful now was and i just yeah or, or that or that landscape wow that sunset was incredible and yeah no i just grabbed every single uh 
I was in Lightroom and I just grabbed every bar and just every slider and just cranked it and got something that doesn't look real. Or the people that will actually, like every single photo they take, they'll run it through the HDR. That was a thing, wasn't it, a while back? It's yeah, kind it of simmered down. Oh, it's horrible. It's simmered. Sorry, yeah. no offense to anybody who does it. it. It was a thing. It was a trend a few years back. The first couple of times you saw it, you thought it was interesting, but it just um, it, it mm. is just killing stuff. Like we, we've got a yeah. good friend of the podcast, uh, Jim Denham. He's top bloke in the US, and his stuff is is very. Uh, well, it's beautiful, isn't it, Craig? Absolutely, yeah. But at the same yeah. time, it's kind of respectful of the uh, yep. of the environment and the way he saw it on that day, and and it invokes emotion and all that sort of thing. So that's um that's got to be artwork as well, right? So if you're invoking emotion yeah. in, with your images, you're doing something right. Well, that's true. And look, admittedly, yeah, you've got to admit sometimes, depending on where you are, it's it's almost impossible to take a bad photo. Um, because of you know where you are and the landscape that's presented to you, um, you know you, you just you almost can't go wrong because it's it's just too good. Mm. Um, you know, like Western Australia, wow. Yeah. You know, the, the first that's the first proper trip I did there in 2018. You know, I spent seven weeks on the road there, and every inch of that place was just something new and. Just something visually spectacular. Um, insects and spiders aside, I mean, obviously, I found enough of those, but you know, it's it's just a glorious place. Um, and and as I said, that's that's where I I really struggle because I, I want to really capture the essence of what I've seen in front of me, but it's um, I just don't find it that easy to be honest. But you know, if you like the photos, then <laughs> cool, I'm happy. Hey, look, I think you. Uh... You're very good at what you do with the insects, so I I think that's enough. Okay, so you're saying just stick to that. I don't th- yeah, yeah, I don't right. think you need to be some <laughs> expert in fifteen different fields. Slow, slow down, look down. Don't bother looking up. Yeah, don't bother looking up. <laughs> yeah, you're just yeah. not that good. Yeah. <laughs> don't get me started on bird photography. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, sure. You want to offend some more listeners while you're here? Good. <laughs> oh no, it, 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 I'm worse at that than landscapes. Oh right, I thought you were going to say that they lose as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, uh, I, I found my niche, and I'll, I'll stick with that if you don't mind. Yeah, no, it's it's spectacular. Uh, what's the what's the most favourite insect you photographed, or, or can you break it down maybe even further? Ooh. Is there is there how many photos have you taken so far? Uh, last count, it was approaching 40,000. Okay, so not many, right? So only 40,000. Uh, yeah, so a cu- couple of dozen thousand. Is there is there, a, <laughs> is there an image that you can go back to time and time again and just say that is, if I had to pick one image as my legacy, that image is perfection. It's the best thing I've ever done. Is there an image? Does it exist? No, nah, they're all perfect. They're all perfect. Um, <laughs> I appreciate your honesty, Mr. Monaghan. Um, no, nah, look, it's... I have... I'll go through phases where there, there'll be one photo that I've taken. Um, but see, the, the problem is there's there are a number of photos that I have that are significant for the time, the place, and 
the subject. So, for example, perhaps the most significant photo I've got in my collection is the first one I ever took. Is that right? And yeah, and that was that was February the twenty fifth, two thousand and five. It was the day I I first bought this new digital camera. Yeah, and I, I went home and I took a photo of a grasshopper sitting on a flower in my backyard. Yeah. Why is it significant? And that, Purely because it was the the catalyst for everything that came afterwards. It was it was it was the light bulb moment. Okay. Um, I took that photo and I knew at that point, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Wow. And so few people, I think so few people will get that. No, that, that that's not moment. No, I that's think. not normal at all. No, that's. I mean, we <laughs> we do. We're fortunate enough to kind of handpick experts in their field uh, to to talk to on this podcast. So we do hear that a lot. But in your everyday mm. life, going about your work, you don't often, well, I'd say hardly ever meet somebody who who can tell you that they're doing what they want to do. Yeah. I mean, I could I could tell you what the temperature was and I could tell you what the time of day was. It was just, it was just, just such a significant point. So in terms of overall significance, that's it. Yeah. But then obviously since then there's been other photos that have been significant. Um yeah, you know, for example, in two thousand and thirteen, just before I did the big trip up to northern Queensland, I'd gone out and I'd bought all this new camera gear, the the, the twin light flash and the uh, the MPE sixty five mil macro lens and all that sort of stuff. And that was the first time I I came up with this homemade diffuser setup. And I went out and took a photo of a shiny black beetle. Yeah. And when I looked at that photo, that beetle basically just looked like it looked like black leather. Yeah. You know, there there was no harsh reflections and the um the the design on the on the beetle's wing coverings, it looked like stitched leather. Yeah. And at that moment when I got this beautiful photo with with no harsh light bouncing off and with all the details right there and and completely visible again that was another moment it was like i've taken the next step hmm. um and and i've now taken a photo that i've wanted wanted to take for for 10 years or more yeah um but then of course you know there's there's others there's uh there's a, a photo I took of a sawfly. Um, a sawfly is, is like a, a – they're related to bees and wasps and ants. They're like a primitive wasp. They don't have stings, um, and they, you often find them on eucalypts and things like that. Um, but I found this sawfly mother standing over her, her, her grubs, her babies, on, on a eucalyptus leaf, and she wasn't going to leave for, for anything. And she even like advanced towards me a couple of times with her jaws open. Wow. So she was standing her ground, and so I, I took this photo of her standing over her brood with this ultimate defensive posture, um, and yeah, you know, that was significant because that that ended up on the like on the front cover of the American um, Entomology Society's calendar, wow. and it ended up on the front the front cover of the University of um, California's insect behavior journal um, and but then there's others that are just significant for me 
you know, like the jewel beetles, as I said before, perhaps one of my favourite insects because of this, the stunning colours that, that you can find. Um, and so there's so many of those that, that are significant because, you know, some of them might be species that I've always hoped to find but never thought I would. Yeah. Um, or they're, they're perhaps beetles that I've seen before but have missed so many opportunities to get photos because they've flown away or I've had the camera set up wrong or the flash didn't go off. So it's it's just a lot of little moments that, that are, are significant for me. So to be honest, I couldn't actually say to you, that's the best photo I've ever taken or that's, yeah, it's, I don't know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it to be honest. Yeah, that... That's uh, that's interesting when you put it like that. How there's that one photograph that captures one element of what you do, and then there's another photograph that captures perhaps an insect, uh, which is another element of what you do. So it's it's um, interesting mm. that the that you can have one that you perhaps like. I think I'm looking at the uh, the sawfly. So picture cute. right now was that in the Dandenong Ranges National Park? That's the one. Yeah, so, yep. found, so she's found standing, on standing yeah, right on top of a, a little group of grubs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's her. And yeah, I can see how. Well, I still think it's a fantastic photograph, but I can see how the the situation and the behaviour is, is so special in that moment. And I think it, it adds another element to it as well because obviously. Again, a lot of people think you know a bug's a bug, a spider's a spider, but but you know this sawfly, she's a mother protecting her babies. Yeah, it's, that is that's what we uh, what we associate with an almost a human trait. Um, yes, but exactly. Maternal maternal care is is surprisingly common in the insect and spider world. Right. You know, there's there's spiders like the wolf spiders. They'll they'll carry their babies on their back for a couple of days. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, like I said, there's so much more to them than, than people look at just at a glance when they're, you know, walking past. Yes. So, and, yeah. And I, yeah, it goes back to what I said before, eh? A, you, you, it's, it's difficult to see these things and, and, uh, and B, you're not, you're not going to have an appreciation for what's happened, what's actually happening in that, you know, you're like your observation of that, uh, that courtship that you mentioned earlier, that's, um, that observation comes from, for, first of all, seeing the insect, and second of all, mm. taking the time to sit there and study it, and that's that's two things that people, mm-hmm. people, people like that a layman probably can't do, to that level yeah. at least. Yep. Oh, there's a few people that refuse to go walking with me because they just know that I'm never going to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but um, yeah, you need to know but, what you're signing up for. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. Uh, look, if if someone really wants to go for a walk, I won't take my camera. Yeah, fair. Uh, it's as simple as that. But unfortunately, that that I find that a little tormenting at times because I still <laughs> find myself looking at everything as I'm walking past, and if I see something that I've never seen before, yeah, not happy. Yeah, not happy. yeah. I was going to say, yeah. would you be, um, yeah, a bit. A bit unhappy if you had <laughs> went on a hike with someone and said, "Oh, great, there's a there's a bug that nobody's ever photographed." <laughs> it's happened on the golf course. No, yeah, way. golf is my other passion, and there's been times I've been out playing golf uh, and I've sort of wandering around, and of course, as I tend to do, I'll tend to look at all the shrubs and everything as I'm walking past, and suddenly I'll stop and go, "Oh, 
I have been wanting to see that for years, and now I don't have my camera. Oh, right. <laughs> my day is my day is ruined. It's incredible <laughs> that you, you picked a, a pastime that was actually slower than golf. <laughs> <laughs> this just goes to prove just how much patience I can have. Yeah, it's incredible, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but if something's not working on my computer, I'll snap in three seconds. <laughs> Uh, but look, look. To be quite honest with you, at, at the end of the day, a lot of what I do can also come down purely to timing and luck. Um, any 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 photographer who says that what they do is purely based on their skill mm. is lying. No, no, that that's a fact. I mean, you'd be familiar, and I and I can't remember the guy's name, but uh, remember because we both lived in in Noosa together. There was a uh, quite a well-known photographer who had a gallery. I think it might have been down Peter Lick. Thomas Street. He had that yeah, iconic photograph of the the kangaroo uh, up at Lake Katharaba. Yeah, I believe so. Yep. And I actually spoke. I, I can't remember how I was fortunate enough to meet him, but the first thing I said to him was. Uh, Tell, tell me about the photograph. Is this what everyone asks you? And he says, yeah, yeah, they do. That's the first question everyone has. And just to, to yeah. kind of describe it to the listeners, think of, uh, I believe it was a sunrise, and yep. there's a bank, uh, a small, very low bank on the left with some grass and shrubbery, and then there's a bank on the right. And what the photograph he's got is the kangaroo crossing that uh water because the water's only you know four inches deep or so and mm. the photo he's got is, is the the kangaroo is 100 percent in the center of those two banks it's airborne there's yep. water kind of dripping or spraying off its feet as it's flying yep. through the air it's an absolutely perfect shot and he said yep he took three photos uh you know in quick succession and one was it taking off the bank and the other was it landing on the on the following bank he said there's only one frame where he, he got the perfection and it was pure luck and the timing he, he but yep. again like not unlike the, some of the things you've been saying about just having a a bit of a gut feel he said it it went towards the water because obviously he said he was there it moved towards the water and then it turned around and took a few hops back to the right and he just had this gut feel like it's going to go for it again so he yeah. he just stayed there and set up his shot and sure enough this kangaroo went for it and uh as you yeah. say if if he's saying that's all skill then you know uh yeah I, I, you're, you're correct in saying that it's not. It's 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 patience and it's yep. luck and it's knowing your equipment and reading the animal. But uh, yeah, mm. you got to give a lot of credit to your your subjects as well. You know the just how amazing they are. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know the, the timing and luck. Um, I don't know, Tom, if you saw. A photo I posted yesterday on Facebook of a, a jewel beetle that I found in Western Australia. Um, Is it yeah, uh, on the purple flower? Yeah, yeah, I that's saw the it. one. Yep. So yeah, so yeah, just at it now. just just to set the scene for that, I was driving from Exmouth to um, Caratha 
and uh, after leaving Exmouth, I had to cut inland to get onto the main highway heading north. And I was obviously, this is uh, sort of mid to late September, so wildflowers are going off. It was just you know, beautiful scenery, red dirt. And at a just a random point, I thought, I've got to stop here and take a photo of a few of these wildflowers. Yeah. And literally, middle of nowhere, there was just no one around. And got out of the car, walked off into the scrub a little bit, took a few photos, started walking back to the car, and walked past this uh, flannel bush and just happened to look yeah, down. Yeah, I think it's, it's probably better known as Solanum uh, lasiophyllum, something like that. Is that would I be correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm reading Lannister. that straight off your Facebook yeah. page. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just happened to look down, and there was heaps of these flannel bushes around, and I'd walk past a dozen of them, and I just happened to look down at this one, and I just saw this tiny little bit. That did give you some uh, perspective. That beetle is maybe – it's less than 10 mils. Yeah. maybe five or six mils long. Yeah. Just saw this beetle sitting on there, and obviously I'd been hoping to see a jewel beetle at some point, but I thought the last place I'd find it is in this – sort of arid landscape with, you know, a few flowers. Yeah, sure, the flowers will attract them, but I just was not expecting it. Nick, um, you've mentioned – Had I walked – Oh, you can oh, sorry, con- say, continue had, your story. Go on. Um, I was just going to say, like, had I walked two metres that way or two metres that way, yeah. had I parked 10 metres further up the road yeah, or call. arrived five minutes later, it was a, chances are I wouldn't have seen it. It was mm. a chance meeting and you guys had a, a nice meeting. Look, you've talked about these jewel beetles a few times. What's so special about them? Why do you love them so much? Uh, they're just the, – the colours and the diversity, they are just absolutely stunning, stunning creatures. Are they rare? Um, are they something that is, is hard to find? Or uh, I don't know if I've ever seen one. Are they available on the East Coast or, or yeah, not? Yeah, you, you've definitely oh, seen yeah. them. You just don't – you just – I mean, yeah. I only know this because when I went out with Nick, he says, oh – that thing there's a jewel beetle. And I said, oh, I recognise that. But the difference is I recognise it from the human eye. If you saw a photo of it on Nick's website, you probably think you've never seen it because it looks bizarre. Mm. Right. Yeah. Look, jewel beetles, they're all found all over Australia. They're found all over the world. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're, quite, they're quite a diverse um, group of insects. Um uh, there's one one genus in particular called Castiorina, and I think there's about 420 species in Australia, of which I've photographed maybe 50. Um, but they're very, uh, they're obviously they're nectar feeders, pollen feeders. So spring and summer is the best time to find them when everything's in flower. In like where I am in outer eastern Melbourne, in spring and summer when the tea trees flowering and the uh, the cassinia and the Basaria, which is, I think they call it Christmas bush, when that's in flower, they love it. Um, but as I said, you know, if, if you have a look on the website at the, the jewel beetle page yep. and just have a look at the, sh- the sheer variety of colours, it just blows your mind. How would I get um, to that? It's in, is it, a, is it so under much. the heading of insects oh. for starters? Uh, so you go go to the insects in yep. the in the menu. Yep. And then there should then beetles. Uh, yep. And then uh, it'll be family buprestidae, B-U-P-R-E-S-T-I-D-A-E. Got it. Jewel beetles. Yep. 
go in there, and, and then there's all the different genus. Fascinating listening for for people. <laughs> Clicking, yep. So clicking you've here. you've got your agrillus, you've got oh, your castorina, wow. you've got melabasis, diffucrania. Yeah. Um, but if like if you go into the castorina page, you know that. That's, uh, is that a C or a K? That's a C. Oh, it's so the it should first be, one. Should be a yeah. should be genus castorina. Yeah. Yeah. That this is one you've definitely seen, Craig. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. That. But that, then look that how looks bizarre familiar. they get. So many of course, the ones. other, but of course, the other trick to a lot of this is that some of these species can look very similar to each other as well. So it is it's very easy to get them confused. And one of the other complications is some species vary. So you can have one species that that might have a dozen different variations on the the patterns, colours, and so on. So when it comes to identifying things, that's just one of the added complications. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, yeah, there's similarities right. between species, the variations within a species. As I said, with, with things like jewel beetles, like the castorinas that you're looking at there, some of those uh, can only be separated by the, the shape of the male genitalia. Wow. So and I bet that's really small to get a photo of. <laughs> I haven't tried. I haven't tried. <laughs> you need a special lens. You need a macro lens yeah. on your macro lens. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Unless it's a really well endowed beetle. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm flicking through these and they're just, yeah, they're incredible. Uh, so I, yeah. I, this is definitely one of those things, again, to the listeners that uh, you need to go and look this up afterwards and you'll kind of realise why it's it's hard to articulate the detail that we're yep. talking about here. Yeah, I've mm. taken a couple of pictures of lady beetles before, but this is this is quite <laughs> something else. Yeah. Something else. You know a cool yeah. you know a cool beetle name that you photographed a lot of is darkling. That's a great oh, yeah. darkling name. beetles. Release the, the darklings. That's good. Yes, <laughs> they're cool yes. looking too. They are cool looking. Uh, yeah, oh, they again they wow. are they are incredibly diverse. Wow, so they, they uh, include lady beetles? Uh, no, it's but there not are a, a couple that, that. No, no, ladybirds are a different family. Diaperinae, um, what's that? Uh, it looks... Oh, that's that's actually that's a that's a subfamily of right. the the darkling beetles, and they look like they look a little bit like ladybirds. Yeah, they and this do. is the other thing too, because you you can get beetles from different families that can actually look quite similar to each other, but. When you get down to the minute detail, yeah. then obviously there are differences. Now, obviously for that particular beetle that in that subfamily that you're looking at, um, you know, the only reason I was able to identify that was because I actually happened to find images that someone else had taken of the same species, and and I was able to verify through that that, that was actually the correct identification. So, um, you know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the other people out there that do this um, play a big part in in helping me identify what I've got and hopefully I do the same for them. So it's, yeah. there's a big network out there. It's quite good. That photograph of the of the two, of those two mating is possibly one of the funniest pictures I've we're, ever we're seen. Always, we're always going to end up at that we some are, point. Yeah, I'm surprised we didn't start it there. <laughs> no, it is yep. well, it's hilarious. It's you know the one PM, I'm talking folks. about. <laughs> Things have gone down. Hopefully your kids are in bed. Yeah, everyone's having a drink here. Uh Let's, let's start up the new Waka Wow music. <laughs> it's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> so do you ever take video? 
I, I, I did an, until an unfortunate court hearing. <laughs> uh, the, the photo I'm talking about is this. She must be twice the. They're, they're absolutely gorgeous. Those little, and you're right. I would mistake one of these for a lady beetle, hands down, yep. straight away. But when you see them in this detail, you start to say, okay, no, there's definitely visible differences. But the one of these mm. two um, fornicators is absolutely hilarious because the male is literally 50% of the size of the female and uh, yeah. it's just latched on the back there. Yeah, that, that's that's another complication is um, some of in some species, the male and female can look very different. Uh, are you guys with the uh, the peacock spiders? Only through only through you, mate. I only know it because you right. showed it to me before. No, go okay. on. Okay. Um, so with the peacock spiders, if you look those up, uh, again, they will blow your mind because a spider is a spider until you see one that is red and blue and yellow and all the colours under the sun. Hmm. Um, and in this particular, the, the peacock spiders belong to a genus called Maratus. Um, if you want to look it up on the website, obviously you go to the, the arachnids yep. and then look up spiders. Yep. And then look up uh, the, the family Salticidae, which is the jumping spiders. Oh, yeah, yeah, got it. It's got that and epic then look, picture of that one on that uh, kind of salmon Oh, on the red flower. flower. Yeah, yeah. Yep, and then look up genus Maratus, M-A-R-A-T-U-S. Uh, yeah, oh, wow. Set set your face to stunned. Wow. Yeah. This thing so looks it, like it's got war paint. Yeah, so in this particular oh, species, yeah. the males are all, well, as the name suggests, they're like peacocks. They have all these garish, beautiful, bright, bold colours and all so many different arrays of designs. Oh, and the, me- the females are actually quite quite plain, you know, model brown colours. Yeah. And the male, when he finds the female, that coloured section on his abdomen is like a it's like a flap of skin and he actually raises up like a peacock fan really? and dances dances to to get her attention hmm. uh if you if you look it up there's a couple of guys out there who are extremely accomplished at finding and photographing and videoing peacock spiders in action and when you watch their courtship dance wow um and this is one of these species or one of these um Maratus is, is a genus that over the last few years they went from having maybe half a dozen described species to now having between 80 and 90 described species and they're finding more all the time. It's, um, it's so, incredible. I challenge anybody who has a, a fear of spiders to jump on and have a look at what we're talking about. I'll, I'll of course put some links and whatnot on the on our website. Yeah. But you look at some of these, and all of a sudden there's there's just 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 no fear whatsoever. It's just Beautiful. pure beauty. Yeah. I can't. And while the arachnophobes are there, they can have a look at the Huntsman page. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> that might scare them. That's a different story. There's nothing pretty about them. Uh, no, I'm kidding. It, it, it's all beautiful. Hey, uh, mate, I, I just want to change uh, tact a little bit here. When we when we caught up at Condolilla Falls, 
Yep. I remember I've still got some some good footage of that and some average footage because I was a, not very good at what I did all those years ago. But when we, we sat down and, and uh, I was asking you a few questions about, you know, what you do and, and why you do it and all of this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. um, rather ignorantly, I didn't, I didn't know anything about this until you said it on camera, but you started to talk about uh, you know, that you suffered from depression and, and, uh, it, it kind of shocked me because, uh, you know, obviously being a friend of yours, I didn't know anything about it, but you, you, you did mention how this, this kind of helped you have focus or, uh, I can't remember the details, but could you unpack that for us a bit? Um, yeah, I oh, look, I've, I've dealt with depression and anxiety for, for most of my life. Um, it was sort of became, more uh, intense after I was assaulted one night for for no other reason than being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay. Um, and so after that, it, it made it very difficult for me to to face crowds. Uh, I still don't like going out in crowded places. Yeah. Um, and you know, it it started to it started to really. Um, ingrain itself into my everyday life and I, I would I would feel sick going to a family function oh wow um, I would feel sick going to work um, and you know there were you know there was one or two days when I was halfway to work and I had to turn around and go home because I couldn't face it that's incredible um, so it obviously get got to a point where I was really just you know yeah almost wanting to become completely reclusive because I just could not face the the you know, the, the the people um so you know moving to Noosa um obviously was a, a huge change because when you suffer from anxiety and even the slightest change can can set your nerves on edge to to leave a 12 year career in finance and move into state and take on a job working in a backpackers resort. That's a little frightening. Yeah, um, that, I mean, and, the thing yeah. is, mate, that's frightening for anybody. That's just any yeah. any person without any you know problem anxiety problems at all. That's massive. Well, I mean, the, the first day at work at the backpackers, I I didn't want to drive the bus into town because I was too nervous. Yeah, right. Um, so and and then I think. Um, not just the photography. I think it started maybe a little bit before that, but I think living in Noosa, I think it's, and you understand this. There's there's a there's a different lifestyle and there's a different there's a different pace of life there, um, and I actually found that, that actually suited me quite well um, because it was very easy to just drive five minutes up the road and you're in the in the rainforest. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a, just and, just for the listeners around the world and the country. Uh, Noose is a quite a famous coastal town, which uh, a large part of the area is is a national park that that sits right on the water's edge. Fascinating place, beautiful, physically beautiful place. Uh, it's not uh, so as far as infrastructure and everything goes and buildings and that. There's a cap on the height of buildings, so mm. we're not talking about something like the Gold Coast where you've got literally yeah. skyscrapers next to the beach we're talking about something a lot more uh subdued and and yeah, yeah it's it's a it's a slower pace it's relaxing and and it is yeah and i think with the with the job i had working in the backpackers obviously i, I was dealing with people 
who were on holiday. Yeah. They were just out to have a good time. They were having fun. They were relaxed. And I think, obviously, that, that helped me um, because I was just dealing with a lot of just happy people. Yeah. And you can't help but be happy around these people. It's true. Um, it's true. I mean, that's where I, we met. I, I was... I was working yeah. in the in the restaurant of the same place, so uh, I know what you mean. Everyone who comes in uh, to have something to eat was having a good time, and uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's funny. Exactly. Whenever the, things, they come in, sorry, they come into the backpackers and go, who, who, "Who's that doofus working in the cafe?" Yeah, and then they um, come to me and say, "Who's the who's the twit <laughs> who just served me?" In the... <laughs> yeah, um, so I think. That, that was sort of the start of it. And I also, I think at that stage, I, decided, I made the decision when I moved up there that I would also be honest about what was going on. So instead of trying to swallow my pride and, you know, if someone said, hey, you want to go to the pub, I'd just try and suck it up and go to the pub and then just feel completely on edge all night. Yeah, yeah. I would just say, look, sorry, but that's just not my thing. This is what's going on. You know, it's not, I'm not, you know, so don't don't think I'm being rude or, or unsociable, but that's this is just you know what I'm dealing with, you know, and and I found that that was great because the 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 people that I knew in Queensland, including you, um, I considered to be like some of the best friends I've ever had because they understood and they just said, yeah, cool, that's you, that's the way you are, sweet, you know, we'll we'll just you know take you as you are, um, but then of course when the photography came along. You know, that was another thing again, because once I would go out in the bush, once I had the camera in my hand and started walking off at, at my snail's pace, the brain just switches off and and I just get lost in what I'm doing. And I, you know, all, all the other senses wake up and, you know, I can hear everything around me and the smells, the, you know, feeling the, the, the sunshine or whatever, you your brain just goes into this nice, you know, low, steady state, and and you just you just forget the world for a few hours. Um, and I found over time, with that and the the combination with my job, um, I sort of taught myself just to go with the flow a little more. Right. So it got to a point where I'd say, "Yep, I'll go out, but if I don't feel comfortable, I'm going to leave." Yeah. Right. Um, and invariably I would go out and I'd actually find I'm having a good time. And, you know, and instead of going out, one of my big problems was I'd go out thinking about what all the bad things that could happen. Yes. And, and so you get so focused on, on things that probably aren't going to happen that you just forget to just relax and enjoy the moment. Mm. So I eventually learned to sort of turn that around a bit and say, I'm going to go out but I'm actually looking forward to seeing this person. Yeah. Well, so funny... my focus is on on seeing that person, talking to them, ignore everyone else and have a good time. And eventually, you know, over time, like these days, you know, if, a few years ago, this, I, I belonged to a golf social club and every year we go up to Tokemore for, for three days and play golf and, you know, we all have drinks and all that sort of stuff. A few years ago, I could never have done it. There's no way on earth I could have done it. Yeah, right. Um, but now I look forward to it. I love it. It's, so it's funny as an observation earlier in the podcast. It's just like the exact opposite attitude that you take when you head out photogra- with your photography gear. 
as you said earlier, you know, when I said like what what happens um, when you head out you, and you have a bad day, you don't get a photo. You say, well, I go out there, you know, hoping to have a good day. And yeah. that's that's the opposite of, of the mindset that you were taking into public places. So it, it's, yep. it's interesting. It, it sounds like maybe, uh, you know, there's some therapeutic benefits of of the time you've you've spent in the outdoors oh absolutely there's no doubt about it um you know i'll, I'll never say i'm completely cured i mean if 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 someone said hey you want to go to a pub in the city no um i just wouldn't do it yep. um but uh but at least i'm at that point now where you know if people want to go out if friends want to go out for dinner somewhere sweet no problem because i'm with people i know yeah. people i trust yeah um, and I, I think one of the biggest things is, is being around other people who are drinking because obviously that's when you're not sure of what level of control they have. Um, and that's, that's when they, that's when you don't know whether you can trust them or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I've been around people who, you know, once they've had a drink, they are, you know, they're, they're scary people. Yeah. Um, but, um. You try so, doing this whole you know, podcast every week after week, sitting next to Craig while he's <laughs> oh, sucking down beers oh, like there's no tomorrow. I'm scared. I was kind of surprised. I'm surprised the two of you aren't alcoholics. <laughs> yeah, crikey. Yeah, well, one, um, one of us is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. But, um, yeah, look. At, at the end of the day, look, I just I just learned to just laugh at myself a bit more. That was probably an important thing. Um, I still have, but I still will have days where I'll wake up and. I'm just down. Mm. There's, there'd be no explanation for it. I might have been top of the world the day before and then I'll wake up the next day and I'm just in a real flat spot. But the good thing these days is that I know it will pass. Yeah. So sometimes you just sit in the boat, hold on tight, the storm passes. Yeah. So, uh, but the you the know, way you say that sounds like you think that other people don't have that and and. You know, I, I mean, everyone has those days. May, you know, I'm not maybe not to the level you have, but uh, yeah, don't don't go thinking that that everyone else, like myself included, doesn't wake up some days feeling super no. flat and thinking, "Geez, how am I going to get through this? I just want to hang out at home or whatever." Exactly, and you, when you put it in perspective, you know, there's other people who wake up who are having far worse days than you are. So, mm. you know, sometimes you just got to look at some it and say, "Look, going to play golf. I've got a house, I've got a house, I've got a job." Um, you know, I could go out and take photos whenever I like. I can go and play golf. You know, I've actually got it pretty good. So, you know, you put it in perspective that way. There's, mm. you know, there's others out there who've got a lot worse. So, you know, no, most definitely, mate. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, I appreciate your honesty about that. I, I was, I was curious right. about that, and like I said, it, it um, caught me off guard at the time because. Uh, you know, to be honest, I just didn't pick it. You, you see, and this is the thing: you you see your body of work, and you've got so much to be proud of. And and you're a, a craftsman in your in that area. Uh, you're a perfectionist. I know that you, you're meticulous in yeah. the work you do. And uh, that, that can be a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, and and I think that uh, you know to, to kind of hear the flip side of that, you think well. Uh, well, I wouldn't have picked that, but I think it's important to share yeah. that that side of things as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, a lot of people have said the same thing. A lot of people I've you know opened up to that have known me for years, and they've gone, "Really? 
Never would have guessed. Yeah. Um, obviously, you must have done very well at hiding it. Um, but uh, um, but you know, at some point, you just you just got to be honest about it. You got to number one, you got to admit you got a problem. Yeah. And accept that you've got a problem. Um, you listening to this, Craig? And then <laughs> <laughs> every week, every week. <laughs> that- that's it. No, yeah. no but th- um, thanks for sharing, Nick, because yeah. I'm sure we all, all get a little bit from these chats that we have on on personal levels too. Because you know we do open up and 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 we've all got our own little struggles in life. Thanks, Tom, and um, <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate that, mate. How much are you? Sorry, just to change a little bit tact. How much are sure. you doing of photography at the moment? What's what's on the horizon for you? Are you? Is this something you have to plan ahead for as well as as part of my question? Um, yeah, it is. I mean, I I set myself a goal of of doing one good decent trip a year, um, because of various circumstances. Obviously, this year's just been a complete write off for myself and pretty much everyone else around the world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, last year I I didn't actually get to go away, but you know there was different circumstances. I just bought a new car, and um, there was a few other things going on, so I never got the opportunity. So. I basically set myself a goal of every September, October, going away, going away for at least three weeks, maybe four or five weeks if I can, right, and go somewhere. Um, and that's one of the other things that this photography has done for me. It's given me the, it's given me the the um, the motivation to explore new places. Yeah, um, you know it's uh, you know like trips to Western Australia. I mean that was just a pipe dream for so many years, mm-hmm. um, but the photography made that gain its own momentum in the end because obviously when you look at Australia, there's a lot of stuff on the west coast that you're not going to find on the east coast. Yeah, and if if my website is going to be des- devoted to photographing Australian insects and spiders. I've got to travel around Australia. I can't just take photos all over the East Coast and mm. say, here's your Australian insects and spiders. Yeah, that's um, very cool. So, yeah, it's, it's given me a real drive to, to find new places. Um, but having said that, there's it's also given me a, a drive to go back to places that I've been to. Um, perfect example, uh, Girraween National Park. It's a tiny little national park just over the... the uh, you got the Queensland uh, New South Wales border. It's it's not far yeah, over the on the Queensland side. One of side. our favourites. Yep, love it. Absolutely. You go there in in mid to late October when the tea trees in flower. It's like a it's like a jewel beetle mecca. Yeah. Um, I photographed uh, thirty two species in in three days there, mm. uh, and and considering for the first. Five years of my photography, I'd photographed six species of jewel beetles. So to find thirty odd in three days, I found I think I found twenty eight in one day. Um, yeah, you, obviously you you want to go back to places like that because you know that even though you've found twenty eight species, you know there's more. Yeah. Um, so there's always this constant drive to find new places. So like I said, I, I sort of sit down. Usually around this time of year, I start thinking, right, I, I want to take three or four weeks off September, October. Um, and then I'll start thinking, okay, do I want to go back to Queensland? Um, do I want to go to South Australia? 
you know, the, obviously the Western Australia trip was a huge one. That took a couple of years to to really plan solidly because that was a, a massive trip. Um, but or you know, or I could just say, right, I'll, I might take two weeks off. I might spend five days up in northwestern Victoria at the Little Desert National Park in the Mallee, mm-hmm. and then I might spend you know a few days in the Grampians on the way homes, uh, and then you know just spend a few days just doing day trips around here. So, you know, there's so, always there's always. Are you predominantly trying to plan around that that spring summer uh, purely for the increased activity in the insect? Yeah, absolutely. Life? Okay. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Melbourne in winter, it's it's like a green desert. Um, there's still insect life around, but you've got to work hard to find some of it. Right. Um, you know, I, mean, I could still, I could go out tomorrow, and if I really, you know, if I look under rocks and logs, I'll invariably find something. But you know, it, in spring, summer, when the wildflowers are out, and you know that that's obviously the the boom time for most insects and spiders. Obviously, the further north you go, the longer the seasons will be. You know, in the far north, I think every day's insect season up there. <laughs> um, so you know, that's obviously that's the next step. Is you know, I've got to go to Darwin and the, uh, up along the top end. Yep. Um, and and of course, you know, there are hot spots. You know, southeast Queensland is actually quite a a. Um, a a well-recognised um, hotspot in terms of diversity because it's got that. It's where you know the the subtropical meets the tropical, and the and so you've got this good blend of environments there that attracts so many different insects that that uh, you know cross over in those environments. So it's a it's a great place to be. It is exactly what mm. um, Josh said about the the. Uh... Let me get this correct. The flora. It's exactly what he yep. said. I'm not sure if you remember that, Craig. Yeah. It's yeah. exactly what he said about the flora of the exact same area. He said it's so unbelievably diverse in mm. in a small section of, of the country because you have rainforest up in the mountains and then you have that the kind of seaside stuff and then you have that real quintessential Australian bush in between, so yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's funny, you know. He's he, exact same thing, but for for plants, that's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Well, you find diversity of one, you'll find diversity of the other. Mm, so, I'm guessing that one, yeah. one obviously attracts the other too. In your case, oh, absolutely, yeah, and and that's obviously why I, you know, prefer to travel when the wildflowers are out because I yep. I just know that that's that's a big attractant to a lot of nectar feeders. Yep. And of course, in turn, they attract the predators. So you know, you, you're you're getting this nice, you know, mix of insects from uh, you know that have different feeding habits and and even you know go out at night as opposed to going out during the day. I found yeah. there was a couple of times when I was living in Queensland, I went out at night. I'd find more at night than during the day. Mm. Well, we had a fantastic. So, I mean, our hike went so long that we didn't get back to the car until eight p.m. from memory. <laughs> Yeah. So on the way back, the last sort of two hours were were you know stopping at each tree and rock and and just finding some um, pretty cool, well, all sorts of weird stuff, mostly spiders cruising around. Yeah, and in the right conditions, you know, go out at night, hang up a white sheet and hang a light over it, and then just step step back and watch the show. <laughs> oh uh, right, yeah, that's interesting. 
So can you yeah, can your it? gear does your gear sorry allow you to still film it? Uh, sorry, uh, take shoots at night, or is it different gear or not really? No, it's the same gear, but I'll carry a torch, uh, and basically just I'll, like I'll hold Search. hold the torch yep. sort of under the camera, so I can I've actually got enough light on the subject so I can see it and and get the focus right. Oh yeah. Um, but all the gear is the same. I'll still use the same flash settings, everything else. Yeah right. Um, and it kind of looks but, like daytime in the end, or do you do you re- recognise yeah. that it's nighttime? No, it looks like daytime. No, no, it looks it looks looks pretty much like yeah, daylight. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, so it, um, yeah, as long as you know you don't, if you've just got like if it's just a photo of a, a bug on some bark, then obviously the, the only background you got is the bark. So it could be day or night as far as anyone's concerned. But you know if if the bark is sort of if, if the insect is kind of you know. You can see the see see the sky in the background. Obviously, when you take the photo, it's going to be very black behind it. Yeah. But yeah, that but even happens during the day with the settings I use. So, because if you go out anywhere with Tom and I, we start talking about bugs as soon as the sun goes down, because that's when they seem to come out and they seem to um, <laughs> cause problems. <laughs> oh actually. man, Craig and I were sitting around the fire uh, oh, a little quite a while ago now. Oh yeah. And i i had uh, I had long pants on, but I only had um, a pair of pluggers on. Uh, and I guess flip flops in in other countries, and yep. we're just chatting away, and I and I felt something kind of crawling around uh, halfway up my calf, and I and and as I put my hand on the pant leg, I there's definitely something in between the fabric and my leg, and I just kind of shook it and flicked it and shook my leg and shuddered for a second and thought, ugh, something like a mm. bush cockroach or something, I don't know. Yeah. And then we're chatting away and, and a few seconds later, I'm just going to have a look. And I shone my head torch down on the ground and there was a scorpion yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> we were just both so cool about it at the time, but looking back. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, 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 night, <laughs> that night could have gone a lot worse. That's, that's and, when Tom screamed. That's when Tom screamed and jump up, jumped up on the chair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was <laughs> a Into Craig's lap. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, look, mate, I've made the mistake of um, going out one night to try and photograph lightning near um, Lake Catharaba, yeah. uh, where the mudflats are, with no air guard. Oh, <laughs> wow. That's, yeah, so mudflats in Australia are kind of mangrove-style yeah. things. I reckon I, I reckon I took about five photos in between dancing a lot to keep the mozzies and sandflies <laughs> off me. Yeah. And that was enough. Yeah, so, no, that's, you know, that's but, interesting. That's actually an interesting question. Do you have to be a little bit careful about uh, the um, any sort of insect repellent on your hands or your fingers, and when you're getting close to these guys? Um, no, no, it doesn't seem to bother them. Yeah, um, it's. Uh, I, I think someone. I don't know if this is right or not, but I think the idea behind insect repellent apparently is to make you invisible. Yes, to, that's that's actually know, a mosquitoes good point. and flies. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, if I put an air guard, they can't see me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nick wears full camo as well. Yeah. Just so, like, all the, all they can see. And everything. I was going to ask yeah. you about that. <laughs> all the insect, all the insect can see is a camera approaching him. Yeah, um, he, he dresses yeah. like a, a jewel beetle in a giant costume. Yes. <laughs> no, actually, I'm, actually I'm more like that alien dude out of Predator. It's just this faint glimmer. <laughs> um, Got, and all the bugs sees all the bugs sees is these 
Well, the bug sees these three red dots appearing on its chest. Yeah, well, let's be more honest. It's <laughs> yeah. more like a, a, a cloak of sequins, isn't it? <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. Um, but um, the uh, the air guard, no, it doesn't bother him. It doesn't bother him at all. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, when you go out at certain times and depending where you are, especially in some of the swamps, the march flies can be horrendous. Oh, yeah. Um, so you, you've got to be covered. But, um, but you know, obviously... I'm more concerned about leeches than than march flies because leeches don't care about aerogard. They like they um, don't like. Uh, I'll tell you two things from our experience. We spent a lot of time in Lamington National Park and getting smashed. Craig has some kind of a world record for the amount of <laughs> something like 102 leeches around his his neck, uh, which was wow. which was fascinating. Uh, for me, that, that beats my fifth. That beats my fifty-five sandfly bites. Oh no, it was it was off the charts. Yeah, it was lots. And uh, <laughs> two things they don't like is um, they don't like the. I don't like to drop names here because we're not sponsored by them. But Bushmans, the Bushmans with the DEET in it. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yep, I don't yep. like. I only use it at extreme times uh, because I don't yep. like walking around with DEET on me, but. It, it definitely works. I'd, even if you don't put it on your skin, for example, uh, I put it around the bottom of my shoe. And as soon as, I mean, we've tried it. We've put, we've gone right up to a leech and the second their skin touches it, they recoil as if they've, as if it's okay. fire. Um, yep. And the other thing is, um, is salt. Cannot stand oh, yeah. Yeah. salt. So been, I've often thought I should carry salt with me. I, I've always got a Ziploc bag in my uh, first aid kit of salt. And yep. um, usually I won't – it'll stay in there until I actually start finding them. Oh, okay, there's some there's some um, getting around my neck or whatever. And then by that time, you've usually worked up uh, a bit of a sweat while you're hiking. Mm. So then I'll just get the salt and rub it all around and just leave it on, just leave it in – around my neck and they touch that and the same thing you drop you sprinkle a tiny bit on a leech and it recoils like you've just um you know burnt it with a lighter mm. is that a successful Definitely. way for them to release as well is it or not yes that's in my opinion and from all the different methods i've ever seen the biggest the, what you're trying to avoid is is grabbing them and giving them an opportunity to regurgitate into the the so where they've bitten you, it's biting's not really the right mm. word. Where they've broken the skin, they're yeah. sucking blood into their body. What you don't want to do is give them time to regurgitate any kind of uh, just anything out of their body back into your bloodstream. That's why squeezing them could be a bad. <clears throat> yeah, you grab it and you try and and you try to off, pull yeah. it off. You you just so. Um, some people, and I have done this in the past, I've got Flame. the blade of my knife and just kind of flicked them off where they're attached. And yeah. I believe that's pretty damn good. I wouldn't use a flame. Yeah, as soon as you hit it with a flame, it's going to regurgitate. And probably, yeah, I was going to say that the flame, the flame works, works, but if they don't come off straight away, that's, it really starts to hurt. Yeah. It's, I get you. Yeah. I, I your pants catch fire. Yeah, and it, <laughs> yeah, very <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but no, my, for me, I'd say always, um, if you see them there, just take the extra minute to get, uh, they've already been on you for how, who knows how long, just take the extra minute get to get the salt out and yeah. just yeah. sprinkle it on there. And the second it hits them, they're off and, I, and I've and i never had yeah. any uh, issues with, my, with the bites. Yeah. 
Oh, look, it's it just comes with the territory. I yeah, think. it's part. You know, I've been. What I've about been ticks, mate? This, I, I've had ticks. I, I've I'd been rather, bitten by ants. I'd rather a leech any day over a tick. Cannot stand yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ticks, ticks worry me. I think, I think, because of their reputation. But, oh yeah. Um, you know, and I, you know, on the on the Western Australia trip, um, I think in total I ended up with eight or nine ticks that I had to remove at some point, oh, various yeah. times. It's not good. Um, do, do parasites but, get a mention on your uh, website, Nick? Um, uh, Tom, do I mention you on there or not? <laughs> <laughs> good work, sure good work, it. Nick. Sure ah, I'll pay you for that. That's good. Um, you guys I, set that up, I, didn't you? I, <laughs> um, I don't – actually, I don't know if I've added ticks, but probably because it's actually – not that easy to get a photograph of a live tick that isn't buried in the on skin. You. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um I, matter of fact, I've only got I've only got a photo of one tick uh that was crawling along the ground um trying to get to me. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, but mm. look like I said, it's it's one of those things, you know, whenever I go out, you know, I've obviously, you know, I've had my fair share of mosquitoes, march flies, leeches, I've had ticks, yeah. I've been stung by bees, wasps, ants, I I've bet. been bitten yeah. by spiders. Um, I've had some close calls with a few snakes. Yeah, I was um, going to say that. You're down on their level a lot of the time, leaning over logs and stuff. Yeah, I've like I've nearly nearly stepped on a brown snake once. Oof. I've nearly stepped on a red belly black snake. Um Gee. But fortunately, like a lot of the times, I mean, the snakes, you know, they're not really out to bite you. They, you know, they'd rather get away if they can. Yeah, but you're so, moving so slowly and quietly that they may not, um, you know, be 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 aware of you as as they are if we're marching through at a speed. Yeah, well, that's true too. Um, I, I'm not sure who gets a bigger fright as either me or the snake when yeah. we realise that, <laughs> that each other's there. Yeah. Um, but uh, but again, look. Sometimes they present their own photo, photo opportunities. I mean, if you come across a snake that's you know just dozing in the sun at your feet, is that party it got to go? Well, how close can I get and get a good photo? Yeah, uh, which is usually not very close. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, sometimes you've got to try. I didn't want to uh, misquote there, but uh, I was pretty sure that the eastern brown, at least, was Australia's deadliest snake, and I just confirmed it. Uh, and then uh, number two is the Western brown. So yeah, it doesn't matter which brown you get, you got a problem. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Fortunately, and I found this out the other day, uh, a couple of months ago, there's a, a mate of mine in Canberra who was bitten by a brown snake uh, over summer. Turns out that about 80% of brown snake bites are what they call dry bites. Mm -hmm. So they won't actually use venom. It's more just a, I'm biting you just to give you a message, now bugger off. Right. Uh, and he was one of the fortunate ones. He was bitten, but it, it actually didn't inject any venom whatsoever. Wow. So so there, take take your chances. It's only a 20% chance of being envenomated. But <laughs> no, no. <laughs> just to put that Good odds. in perspective, on a worldwide scale, it looks like the Eastern Browns coming in at number three. Yeah. And we've got well, we've got a few in the top ten, I can tell you. <laughs> Out of the yeah. top ten, and I'm sure a lot of people already know that. We've got number one, inland Taipan, number three, Eastern Brown, uh number five, coastal Taipan. And then yeah. we've got nine, tiger snake's got to be in there yeah, somewhere. Nine and ten, tiger snake and western <laughs> tiger snake are nine and ten. So yeah. yeah, it's great fun out there. Kids come over and visit. Yeah. 
Well, as I used to tell the tourists at the Backpackers, everything in Australia is going to try and bite you at some point, including some of the locals. Accept <laughs> <So, laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, that's not a nice way to talk about me. <laughs> hey, uh, restraining. Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, in in an ABC article that I read, you were labelled as a self-proclaimed loner. Now I think we've uh, <laughs> we've uh, yeah, we've uh, we've gone into that a fair bit. Uh, uh, so I've always loved. I've always loved that. Yeah, but my question's not about that. It's it's quite simply. Uh, do you think that you prefer the company of insects over humans? <laughs> oh, I hate people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great question. Great, great, great answer. <laughs> um, I find it's not. It's not so much that I don't like people. I mean, I have. You know, my family and my friends who I love dearly and, and I love spending time with them, but um, I just prefer the I just prefer the solitude. Yeah. Um and it, it's um you know, I and I guess yeah, you know, the insects and spiders themselves, I mean, you know, the 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 diversity, the beauty, the colours, the you know, they're they're um they're not out that they don't live for commercial reasons. Yes. Um, you know what I mean? So, you know, they're just there and they, they're just, just doing their thing to survive and reproduce. And, um, but in doing so, they are keeping us alive by pollinating plants and cleaning up the rubbish and doing this and that and everything else. So, you know, in a lot of respects, they, you know, humans could probably learn a bit from from what the insects do. Yeah, um, a lot. But but yeah, I mean, look, I, I often you know there's there's been times where I'll actually go out and take photos. There's other people that um, enjoy what I do as much as I do, and it, I love going out and taking photos with them because we both know that we don't have to speak to each other if we don't want to. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, so you, you're not sort of walking around with someone behind you going, oh, look at that. Oh, do you see that? Oh, what's that? Oh, what's that? What are you taking a photo of? Is that your um, um, recollection of your outing with Tom? Yeah, it- I figured he was referring to that. <laughs> oh. Um, That's awkward, isn't it? <laughs> when- Craig, if you've, ever been, if you've ever been out with a five-year-old on a sugar high. Um- <laughs> you and Tom on an outing. Why do you when- get all that weird stuff on your camera? Yeah. Oh, I think we we're there five minutes. Oh, can we go home now? Oh, that's right. Are we there yet? That's right. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, turn it up, you but, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is all get edited out. We know that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, but as I said, when you go out with other people who are in the same frame of mind, you know, I'll, you know we go out, we'll, we'll sort of end up, some, this person will be 50 metres that way, I'll be 50 metres that way, and we're just off looking for our own things and, you know, at some point, we'll meet up and have a look at this. What I photographed. Oh, where'd you find that? I'll show you. Bang. Yep. Good. Um, so it depends on who it is, you know, because you get some people that, you know, some people have actually made it quite clear. I would never go walking with you because I actually want to get from point A to point B. <laughs> um, and I just want to walk. Um, and that's fine. You know, if they want to do that, that's fine. Um, but uh, I think my parents, they, 
I reckon they've copped it the most. There's been I've had quite a few outings with them. We've gone somewhere and and I'm just dawdling along, checking out the trees and everything else. And I think at one one point, I think my dad actually said to someone, "Oh, that's our son. He's special." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, you are special, so, mate. Uh, special in your field. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you've got to be unique in some way. So I was hoping for the um, the perfect golf swing. I was hoping that would be my gift. But yeah, as it no. turns out, my gift my gift is spotting tiny things from 10 metres away. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to say um, in some respects you've, you've had a win there. Oh, I, I, I have so. more respect yeah. for you than if you did have a good golf swing. You wouldn't say that if I'd won the USPGA. <laughs> I wouldn't I know, know you. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Well, you you would have until I decided that it wasn't worth it. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But no, look, I, I've you know I love what I do, and you know it's it's who I am. Yeah, yeah you is, can tell. I mean, it, it's it's a it's nothing short of a very healthy obsession, and uh, it, it comes through in in not just in the photographs you take, but in the amount of effort that you go to um, throughout your website to to document these things and and uh, do your best to be very clear about what you're seeing. I think uh, it it just shines through. There's a meticulous approach to everything you do. It's been fantastic. You know, thanks so much for spending all this time with us and sharing all of your knowledge. Absolute I think pleasure. if there's if there's anybody who was listening who, you know, even had that small kind of inkling that this was something they might might want to get into, I think this is you've you've pretty much ruined them for life. They're just about to go and sell their car <laughs> and buy a, a, a kick ass macro camera. Uh, sell their firstborn. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I do encourage everybody uh, you know, if you've, in, if you've enjoyed this episode, I do encourage you to go and check out what we're talking about. It, it'll blow your mind. You'll get lost in on Nick's Facebook page or, or within his websites for hours. So yeah, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, Nick. I, I, as I said, um, it's been fantastic. I've, um, I've learned things tonight. You know, this is the best part about this format is you know I've known you for a long time, and and I was learning things tonight, learning new things about you, about what you do, and and that's what it's all about. We're here, to kind of really explore these things. So. Thank yeah, you cool. so much, sir. Yeah, it was great getting, That's right. and, getting to know you, Nick. Uh, so thanks for the chat tonight. Thanks, Craig. No worries. And and look, for the people listening, you know, uh, I'm always happy to share anything I, I've learned about my photography or about the insects or anything like that. So more than happy for people to contact me through my website or through Facebook if they've got questions about the techniques I use, the gear I use. Or even if they've got a photo of an insect that they've found that they, you know, might want to help identifying, I'm I'm more than happy to to help out in that regard. So you know, yeah, don't mate, be afraid that's, to get in that's touch. That's a true measure of your character. There, I think a lot of people would be, you know, they spend so much time learning this craft, they might be reluctant to to share their trade secrets. But but I uh, never that's, understood that. No, that's that's you, mate, in a nutshell, and um, that's fantastic. I. I Really, if you if anyone's interested in that, I would be taking Nick up on that 
offer. Yeah, I reckon everyone should be hitting you up and uh, liking your page on Facebook so that it comes through their feed because it's really cool to see some of these. Yeah, it's it's good, isn't it? I mean, it's one of those things where you'll be you're going through your feed and then and then one of Nick's pictures pop up and they're so vastly different from anything that's going to pop up on your Facebook 100%. feed at all ever. Mm. The bright colours, the the incredible uh, detail and and things that you didn't even know existed. Yeah, get onto it. Good advice, Craig. Mm. No, a patient approach cool. to to your obsession, man. And I, yeah, it's it's vastly different to anything I've 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 looked at in photography. So I really, you know, respect for for your your talents, man. I love it. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, it's just like I said. You know, when I first started this, I just thought, you know, I'm just going to go out and take photos because I want to, and you know, no one will ever take this seriously because you know, I'm just taking photos of bugs. <laughs> But uh, it is, is, you know, it, it, I've achieved far more than I ever dreamed I could. So, you know, it, every day is a good day with this sort of hobby. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a good ride. And there's a lot more to come, yeah, I hope. Yeah, there certainly is, mate. Good on you, mate. Thanks again, Nick. Cool. Take care of yourself, mate. We'll talk soon. And uh, I know people are going to love what you've shared with us tonight. Thanks, boys. Much appreciated. Right. Thank you. See you, mate. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, we'd really appreciate your ratings and comments if you can spare the time. If you'd like to know more about Hike or Die TV and keep track of our adventures around Australia, make sure you drop by hikeordie.com. That's where you'll find all the information you'll need to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or Pinterest. As always, we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening.